Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss, no, not Uncanny X-Men number whatever we were left on, uh, 149, I guess that would have been. No, but King Size Annual The Avengers, number 10. The, what, I guess this was also released August in 1981. Yeah, I was thinking to myself, like, what better way to do an X-Men podcast than by reading a big Avengers annual that features maybe a page and a half of the X-Men and almost <laughs> no story involving the Avengers. Well, then why are we doing this? Because this is a great, 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 story that connects like this segment of the marvel universe together this is like the glue that holds this era together in my opinion i don't know why this is the glue that holds this era of the of of marvel well yeah not all of marvel i'm sure other things are happening in fantastic four and spider-man that are completely unrelated to this but in the portion of the marvel universe that i concern myself with this is a pretty key issue this the uh, the on sale date of this issue was August fourth, nineteen eighty one, and uh, this one is titled "By Friends Betrayed." The scorpion was hamstrung, his tail all a quiver. Just how would he manage to get across the river? Oh, the water's so deep, he observed with a sigh, which pricked at the ears of the tortoise nearby. Well, why don't you swim? asked the slow-moving fellow. Unless you're afraid, I mean, what are you, yellow? It isn't a matter of fear or of whim, said the scorpion, but that I don't know how to swim. Ah, forgive me, I didn't mean to be glib when I said that I figured you were an amphibian. No offense taken, the scorpion replied, but how about you help me to reach the far side? You swim like a dream, and you have what I lack. What say you take me across on your back? I'm really not sure that's the best thing to do, said the tortoise, now that I see that it's you. You have a less than ideal reputation proceeding. There's talk of your victims all poisoned and bleeding. You're the scorpion, and how can I say this, but, well... I just don't feel safe with you riding my shell. And on the cover of this, uh, it is actually, in my opinion, kind of a disastrous cover. <laughs> it's like, uh, but on the, but but it's it's okay. It's a disaster, but it still it works. I don't know why. Well, it's it's very carnival esque. It's like you know, it's like you're going to the carnival and they got all. It's like a poster. See, Captain America totally defeated. Witness the Invincible Iron Man knocked out of action. Observe Spider Woman's daring midnight rescue. Behold the deadly new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Plus a shocking mystery guest. All that and a cameo appearance by the Uncanny X Men. I, I I know it works. I, I don't know why, but you know it's it's all these little panels. It's like a a comic book page on the front of the uh, on the front of the comic book. And it's only seventy five cents. Now here's an interesting thing, Adam. I own this issue of Avengers Annual Ten, and the only reason I do is because I, they must have printed up an enormous stock of this particular comic book or the comic book store that I went to uh, must have purchased way too many copies because 
I was collecting comic books, uh, X, specifically X-Men comic books, probably around 1988, 87, 88, 89 time frame. And mm-hmm. I walked into uh, one of the comic book places that I frequented. And one day they had a big box filled with these uh, and a little price tag uh, above it that said 50 cents. And I wow. picked it up and I was like, well, 50 cents? Like, I'm not, I don't really like the Avengers all that much. That's lower than the cover price. It is lower than the cover price. And it was like at least seven years after this thing was actually published. And uh, so uh, having been an X-Men fan at that point, it's got the cameo by the X-Men. That's cool. And it also has uh, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants in there. And I was like, oh, all right, well, this I, I should buy this issue. And so I did buy the issue and I read it. I've read this issue numerous times and I never really understood it. <laughs> Because I think <laughs> you need to have the backstory that you've been providing to us, even though they do provide it to you in this comic book here, uh, or you just can't be 12. I don't know which it is, because I, my mind didn't process <laughs> any of what was going on in this comic book other than the fight scenes. So this was a really good reread for me, because I was like, oh, this comic has pretty got some meat to it. So anyways, that's my story about this issue. So let's move on. Let's do X-Men 149 now. <laughs> <laughs> this one is written and co-edited by Chris Claremont Ooh. of X-Men fame. How is he a co-editor? I don't understand. How does, how does that work? I don't know. He's co-editing with David Anthony Kraft. I think he's he's just hogging the credits. He's just like, hey, <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm co-editing here. So Back off. The way I, I think I am now understanding the editor's role at Marvel Comics is to kind of keep the characters in line, make sure that the characters don't go too far off the rails and make sure that the storylines tie into you know past uh stories and you're not making new stuff up and somebody didn't die and you just brought him back to life without some sort of plausible explanation right is that maybe no i i I just assume they yeah i guess yeah that would that makes sense but uh, along the usual editing job of you know test making sure the grammar is correct, and the characters are acting the way they're supposed to. Right, right. So I, I'm almost thinking that, you know, Chris Claremont was either given the task or assuming the task of, like, fixing <laughs> this con- continuity. Or not continuity, but just, th- I don't know. Again, I think that this has significant ramifications on the Marvel Universe. So by creating this story, you do sort of take on those editing tasks of saying, this is going to be the direction now that we go. The story that I've heard, and this is uh, it's, this is totally via the internet and therefore has absolutely no uh, value as far as truth goes, maybe some, Stupid is that Chris Claremont was, uh, I believe he created or he co-created uh, Captain, uh, Miss Marvel. Mm, okay. And he was horrified by oh, what they did to what her. They did to her in Avengers, as I have detailed in the, at the backs of some of our episodes. Mm-hmm. And this was his way of fixing that wrong, okay. or righting that wrong. Okay. Along with along with many other things. Sure. And we'll, we're going to go through all of that with a fine tooth comb here, everybody. It's going to be awesome. So strap yourself in. One thing I did want to mention though is this. Uh, this is actually featured in the way out of continuity in the X-Men, or the Marvel Masterworks Uncanny X-Men Volume 7 uh, Marvel Masterworks. And the continuity story, 149, 150, etc., is in Marvel Masterworks number 6. So, 
Interesting. This uh, this appears in the omnibus after issue 149. Okay. But I, I, I felt that it made more sense before 149, um, and I'll explain why next issue. There's no reason to get into that. Not here. Uh, yeah. So yeah, let's just let's just jump into this thing. Uh, we our story opens up in San. Well, we should mention that it's uh, penciled by Michael Golden, uh, inked by Armando Gill, lettered by Joe Rosen, colored by M. Golden. Michael Golden. Michael Golden, and uh, edited in chief by Jim Shooter. I gotta say, uh, I know I was getting ahead of myself there, but this this issue is, in my opinion, very well drawn and very well colored. And I don't know if the colors just really made a good transfer over to the Marvel Masterworks, but the artwork in here, I think, is really, really good. Yeah, I I, I have to say, I like I like uh, Michael Golden. He is he is a good uh, he is a good artist and colorist, apparently. Well, you know, that's what I, that's what I meant by artist. I oh. was trying to fold the two of those together. Got it. So, any idea who did this cover? I don't see. Oh, there, M. Golden's. No, uh, Milgram. Al Milgram did Al cover. Al Milgram. Yeah. All right. Anyways, our story opens up in San Francisco, and it's it's very. It just starts off kind of movie esque, where you got like the cityscape that you're. You got your wide shot, and then you go into the Golden Gate Bridge, and you see a body being flown off, and then you get your close-up. Right, so the body being thrown off is actually uh, it referred to in the caption as not jumping, but being pushed. The woman falls without a sound, and she never reaches the, 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 the water, which presumably would have killed her, uh, because she is rescued by none other than Spider-Man, a uh, woman. <laughs> What's Spider-Man um, doing over here in San Francisco? Almost blew that one. No, <laughs> Spider-Woman. Yep. And apparently Spider-Woman, uh, she she glides. She doesn't fly. So she's got the, this little wing costume. And she's catching updrafts and such. And apparently they, at first the wind is strong enough to hold up her body and this mystery woman's body. But then the wind shifts, dying down, and she crashes into the water. It's true. And this kind of works well with like the continuity that we we're in because we just did those Spider-Woman stories which led us into the X-Men story which had featured Spider-Woman. And so now we're following Spider-Woman as she goes back to San Francisco. Right. She says that she has just moved back to San Francisco and she was exploring her, her well, her new home. It was kind of quote-unquote on patrol or something like that. Right, she just she just uh, opened a detective agency in her own comic book. Yep. So they fall to the water. Spider Woman shields the mystery woman's body with her body, so she takes the brunt of the impact on the water. Uh, she thinks to herself how cold it is, uh, but she is able to swim herself and uh, the mystery woman back to shore. And it takes quite a bit of time. It's about a mile wide, I guess. Yes, but uh, three hours later, she, uh, well, I get, does, does, it, does it take three hours later or is this just three hours later? I guess we just cut to three hours later. It didn't take three hours. Yeah, it says, alone the dark angel could easily reach the shore. If she stays with her companion, they could both die. Blah, blah, blah. She reaches di- down deep and she's able to swim back to shore. So then it says three hours later. So we don't know if it took three hours to get there or... If this is just three hours later, I guess Anyways. it took her three three hours to get out of there, get this mystery woman to the hospital, and get Spider Woman a cup of coffee. Yeah, that's about how this comic book flows. That that sounds reasonable. 
So she, uh, so we come, we cut to the Ocean Beach Hospital where um, apparently the French uh, lieutenant, <laughs> Sabrina Morel, uh, meets Spider Woman at the hospital to discuss the mystery woman. Bonjour, Sp- Bonjour Spider Woman. Comment ça va? So this panel confounded me for years, and I'm sure you know why. There's a nun here who is escorting a little lady outside of the hospital, and there's a security guard there saying, oh, it looks like you're better. And the little girl says, I'm Maddie Pryor. I've been sick, but I'm better now. So in my mind at the time that I was collecting, of course, Madeline Pryor was a prominent character. And I was like, well, that's weird. Because <laughs> this happens at about the same uh, era as X-Men 150. In X-Men 150, Cyclops is a... He's a man. And in the continuity that I was reading, Cyclops had just married Madeline Pryor. I was like, this is this is really weird. And then I was like, well, it's the Marvel Universe. Like, you know, maybe something crazy happened and she aged really rapidly and all that sort of stuff. But none of that. <laughs> I actually did some research on this, and I don't know if it's well-known or not or if I'm the only one that focused on this or hyper-focused on this, but apparently Chris Claremont just had an affinity for the name Maddie Pryor. That was going to be my guess, actually, was that... <laughs> He was, he just got this name and he liked it and yep and used it again later. That's ex- that's it. That's all there was. I was looking for way more than what actually existed. This is just which is probably exactly what happened with Amanda. The first appearance of Amanda turned into Amanda Sefton. Oh, probably wasn't actually Amanda Sefton, but later kind of became Amanda Sefton. But the thing is, though, I mean, there's always a creative editor or writer or what have you out there that takes these little things from comic books and, like, turns them into, like, tries to connect all the dots and make a a kooky story out of them. So what's really surprising to me is that even though Chris Claremont didn't intend this to be Madeline Pryor, that somebody didn't come along and just make this Madeline Pryor. You know what I mean? Because we learn all about her story later, and I won't spoil any of that for those people that don't know it, but based on her origin, this is a plausible Maddie Pryor, you know? This could be a Madeline Pryor. Oh, that's even better, but I don't think it is. <laughs> I think I read that conclusively, like, this is just a little girl named Maddie Pryor, and that's it. I, I, I know, I'm just saying. But but see, yeah. that's I'm surprised some writer wasn't like, you know, way back in Avengers Annual number 10, you first met her, you know, like a little asterisk in the editor box. But not you, you didn't meet the Madeline Pryor that we come to know you meet just a version of that madeline prior exactly anyways that's not the case so spider woman that that girl's gone like that this is her only appearance in this book at all so she's she's actually not a uh factor in this book at all and we've spent way too much time talking about her let's talk about her some more well she's got a little yellow nightgown and a little teddy bear her head her hair is not red it's brown but again you can explain that away as a coloring mishap Michael Golden. (laughs) Worst colorist ever. (laughs) Anyhow. How do you think the teddy bear is relevant? It's got to be. I would imagine that that's probably uh, a goblin prince in disguise. (laughs) I think it's Warlock. It could be an early version of Warlock. That's true. It could be uh, uh, Mr. Sinister (laughs) in, in hibernation waiting i think mr sinister is actually the uh the police officer oh, or notice, the nun notice, notice how when he pushes the door open it creates a ripple effect on the door oh my god you're right adam i think we've just seen through the looking glass there's an untapped story here 
I'm surprised. I'm surprised this hasn't been like Marvel superheroes. Is like a whole story based around this panel and the cop being some hero. Because look, you're right. There's ripples there. It's like he's pushing his hand through the door. Yeah. Crazy. Anyways, Spider Woman is in fact drinking a cup of coffee, as you mentioned earlier. She's felt better, Lieutenant, but she'll she'll live. And uh, and then she asks, "How's?" She asks the doctor, "How's our Jane Doe?" And the doctor says, "Well, she'll live." But uh, physically, nothing is wrong with her. Her body's in su- superb shape, just her mind is uh, non-existent. She functions at the level of a newborn infant. So she says that uh, she wants to canvas all over the mental hospitals because this person must have been institutionalized since she was a child. But uh... And that's when Lieutenant Morell steps in and says, Nope, we ran a fit check on her fingerprints and your Jane Doe is Carol Susan Jane Danvers. No, you did it wrong. We ran a check on her fingerprints. Your Jane Doe is Susan Car- or Carol Susan Jane Danvers. Why does Carol Danvers have so many names? S'il vous plaît. <laughs> Como ça va? That was a terrible French accent, by the way. Uh, Carol Susan Jane Danvers. I'll bet you, well, she's not a very old character, but I think we've learned that in the Marvel Universe, most people do have multiple names. Right. What is, does Chris Claremont really likes like all these names? Should I call her Jane or Susan or maybe Carol? I'll just call her all of them. Carol, Susan, Jane Danvers. Done. <laughs> Next character. So we find out that Carol Danvers is 29 years old. She's a major in the U.S. Air Force, chief of security at the Kennedy Space Station, former editor of Woman Magazine, uh, and her Air Force file is classified. Um but she has been told that she is a pilot and a top-notch, uh, top-notch fl- uh, pilot at that, fluent in three languages, and an expert in armed and unarmed combat. She's single, and she lives, interestingly enough, on 14 Carroll Street, mm, Greenwood Village, New York. And six months ago, she disappeared. Where did she disappear to? I don't know. Perhaps we'll find out. Well, I guess we already know. We already know. <laughs> She was stripped of her identification, her clothes, of all their labels. Her assailant wanted to make her as anonymous and untraceable as possible and will need help to find him. So here's what I I want you to help me with, Adam. Okay. So I, I get everything that happens throughout this comic book, and mm-hmm. I like everything that happens through this comic book, but somewhere along the line, I missed the motivation. So when we get there, you'll just have to tell me, like, this is why they're doing it. Okay. So I don't know what you're talking about, but okay. <laughs> Why are they doing this to poor Carol Danvils? Why is all of her identification gone and her clothes ripped of all their labels? Like, why are their assailants being so thorough? That's what oh, I want to know. I see. Because I don't, I, again, I read this, I picked up some more stuff, but I don't know why they were actually doing what they're doing. So when we get there, you have to tell me. Well, they also didn't expect her to live. That's true. They expected her to die. So maybe that's the whole thing is they wanted to kill her. I don't know that they wanted to kill her, though. But just in case she survived. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, we'll find out. Know. Let's just read and yeah. find out. Uh, so she, Spider-Woman decides that uh, the best course of action here would be to contact her good friend, the professor, over at Professor Charles Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters. I was just there. He's on my mind. Yeah. <laughs> I was an honorary X-Men for a day. The professor's in the danger room, Spider-Woman. Hang on a minute. I'll get him. So Kitty phases into the danger room, which we find out is still 
under repair from the events of X-Men number 143. Man, this thing is like, this is like an ongoing (laughs) (laughs) reparations that will never, (laughs) never resolve themselves. The professor should really hire some contractors then. Maybe they get going a little bit quicker. Yeah, stop having the X-Men fix everything. They clearly don't have, like, any way of fixing things. You're going to rely on Nightcrawler, Wolverine, and Banshee to fix this stuff? Well, anyways. Uh, So Kitty comes in and says, Phone, Professor, it's long distance. And kids, when you get some time, look up the words long distance. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm not going to explain it here. Storm wonders who it is. The Professor thanks uh, thanks, Kitty. Nightcrawler Thank you, child. is on the roof. He's fixing up one of the computer consoles. Uh, and as Kitty is explaining that it's Spider-Woman sounding pretty dot dot dot, Nightcrawler teleports, creating his trademark sulfur and brimstone smell. And Kitty goes, yuck! <laughs> With a bamf of imploding air, he instantly reappears inside the danger room atop of the massive weapons module. He and fellow X-Men Wolverine and Colossus otherwise known as Peter Rasputin, oh. have been working for two days to install. So Wolverine is sitting on top of this giant thing, uh, I guess guiding it into its permanent location. Uh, Colossus has been holding on to it since breakfast, apparently. <laughs> Take your time, Tovarich. It only weighs five tons. Yeah, and I have been holding it absolutely motionless, as you and Kitty requested since breakfast. I will, I, strong. <laughs> I will break you. <laughs> so what do you think this thing is? Because, like, you think this is, like, what houses all the the, the, the the missiles and spiky things? Oh, yeah, man. Spiky balls and, and razor-sharp blades. Adam, do you remember the bathroom buddy from the movie Gremlins in which <laughs> the father takes this thing out and it's a big block and in it it's got like a – like a razor blade and a shaving cream and toothpaste and it can squirt toothpaste onto the toothbrush and it's got a mirror and it's got floss and he's trying to sell these things but every time he uses his invention it goes wrong and it squirts toothpaste in somebody's face do you remember that the bathroom buddy wow no okay (laughs) then this analogy will not work but this is literally a giant bathroom buddy for the danger room in my opinion yes things come flying out like hoops and smoke machines and spikes and missiles and you name it. it. It is in this mechanism, which apparently somehow got destroyed in the fight with the demon. I was more of a Gremlins 2 fan. Oh, Gremlins 2 is the worst. It's what, it's so good how bad it is, though. Oh, it's just... No, it's terrible. I hate that movie. It's fantastic. No, no. <laughs> I'm sorry, Adam. I will always love that movie because... The week before I saw that movie, I saw Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and the film broke, and we had to sit there in the dark, waiting for them to re-put the film back together, which, if you've ever in- involved, is a delicate process that usually takes a while. You have to cut both ends of the, the film strip, and then you tape them back together, and then you have to put it back into the uh, the uh, projector. All is a very time-consuming process, and we were just kind of sat in the dark, waiting for this process to happen. I knew very little about the process then. I just knew that the movie had ripped. Uh, And then next week I went to go see Gremlins 2, and the same thing happened. The the film rips. It melts. And I was like, oh, come on. Am I like, what is is with this theater? And then it turned out to be 
the funniest gag ever. No, that gag is not funny. <laughs> <laughs> the film didn't really rip. It was faking it. Yes, and then Hulk Hogan came out and threatened the gremlin film projectionist to start up the movie again. And the best part is when they released, re-released it on VHS, the uh, they cut they cut that scene and replaced it with a scene where the the VHS tape gets all scrambly. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, and it gets and the screen gets all fuzzy. That's actually pretty and, funny. And then the gremlins appear in the fuzz. Oh yeah. Yeah. Huh. I have not seen that version. I saw a DVD version of it in which they just restored that film melting piece, so it made no sense at all. <laughs> See now they should have done like some sort of like the bits uh it, it it would like the bits would get all messed up. It would get all pixelated and like it pixelated, yeah. Yeah. And maybe the scene could start skipping over and over again. Yeah. Damn it, why weren't they thinking ahead to D V D back in nineteen eighty five or whenever that movie came out? And then, like when when it, when you watch it on Netflix, you'll like lose your bandwidth. <laughs> it says like buffering <laughs> <laughs> or reconnecting or something. That'd be pretty funny. Just a joke that keeps on going for a movie that really wasn't that great. That movie is oh, I just I I know what it was trying to do, but I thought that Gremlins, the first Gremlins, while it was a a campy monster movie, took itself just seriously enough to engage the audience but still was tongue-in-cheek enough that you could, you were kind of in on the joke. Whereas Gremlins 2, he was just like, the hell with it. We're going full, full... Full-blown cartoon fun. <laughs> Anyways, this isn't the Gremlins cast. This is the X-Men podcast. So uh, Wolverine questions Nightcrawler, and he says, uh, You sure you know what you're doing, bub? Yeah, Kitty and I triple-checked every circuit mine through. It should work. Great. It will work. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, uh, the professor's on the phone with Spider-Woman. He has now heard the whole story. He agrees that his special abilities, in quotes, uh, would be of assistance, so he'll head off to San Francisco. And then Nightcrawler says, Cross your fingers, X-Men. Power relays on. Clack. The machine explodes with a mighty zapow, and Kitty says, <laughs> Which is really weird. <laughs> Storm comes up, uh, Kitty. The professor mentally uh, examines her, and she is unhurt. I've mentally examined her, Storm. I've got to go. I've got to go. Now, this is one of my favorite back and forths between uh, the b- between Nightcrawler and Kitty. Is Wait. everything all right, Kitty? Well, nine. Well, um, Nightcrawler. Yakatskin. Back to the drawing board. Yeah, Kotskin. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just, it's very, it's a very human kind of, she's obviously in shock, but still with it enough to make a tiny little joke, and Nightcrawler rolls with it. Have we done Kotskin yet? Kotskin? I don't think so. I think this actually might be the first uh, appearance of Nightcrawler referring to her as Kotskin. We should probably get that real quick. Kotskin. Kotskin. Kitten, 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 kitten. Well, there you go. That's a new one, I think, for the books. All righty. Have we done ya yet? (laughs) Ya. I don't think we have. Surely we've done ya. Ya, kitten. I don't think we have. I mean, it's... Kitten, yes. Anyways, whatever. Enough of that. The professor speeds over to San Francisco in the sonic, hypersonic modified SR-71 Blackbird aircraft. 
Uh, and he takes Storm with him. And wow, what is Storm is dressed like a peacock. <laughs> yes, she is. Uh, the uh, the French police lieutenant, what's her face? She's she was on the phone with Miss Danvers' parents. Uh, her dad took it pretty hard, so they're coming up to visit. Her mother said something weird about. Uh, he said that perhaps the Avengers and Miss Marvel could answer some questions. They're New York-based superheroes. Miss Marvel's one of the team. Bit out of my jurisdiction, and my leak. I'll do what I can, Spider. I'll do what I can, Spider Woman. But I offer no guarantees. I can't do a French oh, accent. Wait, wait, we, we, what was our? Sp- We're not doing our Spider Woman voice. <laughs> but she's not speaking right now. That's true. She, she hasn't. She's barely spoken in this in this issue, so we're okay. So this is all the lieutenant doing this uh, yes. bit of dialogue. Okay. She is, uh, uh, I spit on you in your general direction. <laughs> oh, I don't know if that's friend. I'll do what I can, Spider Woman. Uh, whatever. <laughs> uh, so the professor reaches out to Spider Woman uh, telepathically. Okay, now you can do your Spider Woman voice. <laughs> it might be your last chance. Uh, I don't... Eh? Professor Xavier's voice in my head. Is that it? <laughs> yeah. Close enough. Close enough. So the professor is uh, communicating telepathically to Spider-Woman to preserve the secret of his mutant abilities, blah de blah de blah and says that uh, this uh, Carol Danvers' condition is far worse than anybody feared. Her conscious mind has been completely erased. She is Whoa. tabula rasa. Tabula rasa. Do you, are you familiar with that term? Uh, yeah. Well, because I'm not. And I'm sure I've heard it in like a movie or something. She's a blank slate, but her condition is not hopeless. Uh, many of her critical memories and personalities traits should be buried deep within her subconscious. With some time and luck and effort, he should be able to bring some of those uh, memories to the surface. Um, but This is not a natural state. She is a, uh exceptionally strong and courageous person. She fought far hard for her mind. My preliminary scan of her subconscious picked up this residual image. I believe it is her assailant. Her name is Rogue. Dun, dun, dun. Who's touching Spider-Woman's head here? Is it the professor? professor. Why would he do that? He's mentally injecting her with a picture of Rogue. Right in front of the lieutenant. Lieutenant's like, what is going on right now? It's been (laughs) quiet for like five minutes, and now this old man is touching Spider-Woman's head. (laughs) Both of you are going to jail. My wipe. Chapter two. No title. Is, that, is this the first appearance of Rogue? I I believe yes. In canon, this is the first appearance of Rogue. So how come this issue isn't worth like tons of money? I don't know because the first appearance of Gambit's worth a ton of money, and he's not. He's a kind of a minor character these days, isn't he? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Th- well, maybe it's what I was talking about earlier. I think they. Why was I able to find a big box of like thirty of these seven years after publication? Exactly. That huh. makes no sense at all. We were just talking about this whole collectible thing last time. This thing maybe, should be maybe maybe it's a second print. Did you did you check to make sure yours was a first print? I should do that again. I'm pretty sure it's. I don't know. I I can't. I don't. I can't answer that question. Okay. <laughs> Moving on then. Moving on. Chapter two. two. No title. New York City. Actually, I think I think all the words. In this chapter are the title. <laughs> I think you're right. It's a very long chapter. The title chapter. never stops. This is my favorite panel of Captain America ever. <laughs> <laughs> really? You like seeing him getting trashed? 
He's just getting thrown through like a park bench and his face is all uh, bruised up. One of his eyes is barely open. He's just getting messed up. This is Captain America, living legend of World War II. He has seen better days. I just, I'm not a, any other time you see Captain America in the 80s, he's he's just like, I don't know, he's Captain America. He's just bland, boring, like, we're going to go over here, Avengers. What do you think his scream sounds like? Uh, it probably sounds like this. Probably. <laughs> it's weird, because that's what Kitty sounds like, but, you know, whatever. Poor little Cap, you never had a chance, darling. So we learn that she possesses Miss Marvel's memories, uh, and so because of that, she knows how to fight, or how Captain America fights, and how he thinks. That's what made it so easy to catch Captain America off uh, balance. Off guard, rather. And when she touches Captain America, she's going to absorb his powers and memories uh, because that's her power, flesh to flesh. She will transfer, but um, no matter how slight will suffice the transfer, but she prefers to do it the kissy way. <laughs> yeah. She has to make sure to be more careful this time because uh, with Miss Marvel last night in San Francisco, the transfer was permanent, and she doesn't want to her Captain America to be permanent. Right. So... Would, but my question is, why not? Well, I'm assuming that, as we we'll, as we will learn, it's because it freaks her the freak out. Well, yeah, I mean, I get that, but I mean, here she is, yum dumb, uh, j- just barely kind of learning what her powers are all about. She just absorbed Ms. Marvel's powers, so she's super strong. She can fly. Why wouldn't you just be like, I want all these powers, and just start permanently absorbing all powers? Now, yes, you're right. Down the road, she would suffer the psychic ramifications, but at this point... Probably because last night, stealing all of Carol Danvers' memory probably freaked her out, and she was like, I don't want to have that happen again, because I'm all messed up right now. Okay. Yep, okay, so... It also says in here that uh, the reason that she gained Miss Marvel's per- powers permanently is because she stayed in contact too long. Although, I wonder, like, it's only been a day. How do they know it's permanent? That's <laughs> yeah, true. And and doesn't permanent mean forever, as in this will never go away? Well, it never does. <laughs> yeah, it does. Doesn't it does? Yeah. Haven't you been reading uh, May- or, uh, Modern X-Men? No. She don't have these powers anymore. Really? Really. Man. <laughs> right? I didn't know that. I don't, I'm not up to date with modern comics. All I know is Wolverine's about to die. There you go. Two months, everybody. <laughs> uh, anyways, yes, uh, not far uh, away from the Central Park in which uh, Rogue is making out with Captain America, we get the Avengers Mansion, where apparently uh, Captain America earlier had uh, probably said Avengers Assemble, and they were meeting up at the... Uh, well, Mansion. this is their regular weekly meeting. Oh, okay. It was not an Avengers Assemble. It was a, uh, uh, we need to meet up, guys. Speaking of which, they, they never say Avengers Assemble in this issue. Hmm. That's weird. Oh, anyways. So, we've got Wonder Man, Hawkeye, Scarlet Witch, uh, Vision, Jocasta, uh, Beast, and uh, Jarvis are all in the main room waiting for Captain America. Uh there's a line of dialogue from vision where he says nothing for me. Thank you, Jarvis. My synthoid form requires no 
organic substance. It wouldn't seriously. You, you think that's how he's going to talk in the movie? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's exactly how he's going to talk in the movie. And if you're Jarvis, aren't you like, yeah, I know. I wasn't asking you. <laughs> <laughs> like this is for Master Beast. You're a robot. I don't give tea to robots. I'm not offering Joe Costa tea. Would you care for some tea and cakes, Miss Wanda? The Beast is uh, talking about how they're yummy, but so fattening. <laughs> I wonder where Cap is. <laughs> Didn't like our beloved leader to be so late. Is that the new Beast voice? Because <laughs> I'm down with it. It is now. <laughs> ladies man Beast with a lisp. Let's try out the ladies love him. Because <laughs> he's non-threatening. He's the non-threatening gay friend. He's their non-getting blue-furred gay friend. He just tells Captain America he's dating all these ladies, but really they're out shopping for blouses and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, he felt, he didn't he just fall in love with what's-her-face? Uh, yeah, but... Wasn't, that, was, that was pretty real, man. But she was zapped away or something, wasn't she? Well, she's, she's, te she's temporarily in stasis until well, they right. can recover her. Who was that again? As we, as we know, they will. Was that Vera? I don't know. All I can think of is Velma from Scooby-Doo. No, it was Vera, right? Yeah, Vera. Yeah, okay. I was close. <laughs> so, uh, right on cue, when Scarlet Witch says that, I'm sure Cap will be with us shortly, Captain America is thrown through the front window. Crash! Goodness gracious, says Jarvis. Cap, would you like a cake? <laughs> I saved this. The vision said he didn't want any, but I knew that already. This is for you. <laughs> this is what I don't understand. Uh, so it says, while the Avengers react, the customary speed and efficiency, some tending to Cap while others seek to his assailant. We shift our scene uh, eastward, blah, blah, blah. This is the Avengers we're talking about. Somebody had to pick up and throw Captain America through a window. Don't you think the Avengers would have, like, some monitoring equipment? Or maybe, like, doesn't Wonder Man or Vision fly? I mean, wouldn't they just be, like, on the scene? Well, they are on the scene. Yeah, but, like, I mean, out. Like, it doesn't seem to me, if I were to read an Avengers comic book, that somebody could throw Captain America through the front window and the Avengers wouldn't be like, oh, that's going to stop now. Or or they would well, get into, like, a big fight in the front yard. Well, who the assailant flies away. Yeah. And uh, nobody here flies after them. Doesn't Wonder Man fly? I don't think Wonder Man flies yet. Hmm. You gotta he help has, me out. Like, I, oh, he has a jetpack, I think, right now. Who or what is Jocasta, and what does she do? She is the bride of Ultron. Oh, and she has the the voice, and I think some of the uh, some of the the feelings and and of of Wasp. Oh, okay. But but she's a mechanoid, so I guess she's super strong. I think Vision flies. Yeah. Well, anyways, eastward uh, across Long Island is uh, Stark International, and inside Stark International is the founder and president, Mr. Tony Stark, hard at work in his laboratory, fine-tuning some armor worn by his alter ego, the Iron Man. I notified Cap that I, or rather Iron Man, would be unable to attend today's meeting. They wouldn't call... Oh, they got a priority alarm. Especially with that signal, unless things were deadly serious. Mm -hmm. Boy, I wish I had some of Jarvis's tea cakes. <laughs> I bet you Vision's saddling up to him right now. Oh, hey, when uh, Captain America flies through the window, what do you think he says? Oh, he probably says something like this. 
And so Jarvis, who is clearly uh, a little worse for the wear here in this panel. He looks, he just looks rumpled. He looks like drunk, like he just came in off of like an all-night bender. It's still in his tuxedo, though. Captain America has been assaulted, sir. We need Dr. Blake immediately. I'll take care of it, Jarvis. <laughs> Iron Man sounds just like Vision. <laughs> Expect us in 15 minutes. See, here's the Iron, thing. Iron Man sounds like Robert Downey Jr. He, what are you talking no, about? he doesn't, and I'll tell you why. Because Robert Downey Jr. has a very distinctive voice. And through 30 or 40 years of Marvel chronology, Tony Stark keeps his secret identity a secret. So there's no way he can possibly sound like uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. without some sort of voice modulation or mechanical voice. Because otherwise they'd be like, you know what you sound like? You sound like a a robotic version of Tony Stark. (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) You shut up. (laughs) Tony's not here. Uh, so much for the Avengers re- reacting with the customary speed. It looks like they're still moving Captain America. That's what I'm talking about. Like, this doesn't, <laughs> like, somebody should be chasing the assailant. Absolutely. Nobody seems to have gone after the assailant. Uh, I guess it looks like maybe Scarlet Witch went after the assailant. <laughs> yeah, maybe. she's the only one not here. Jocasta. Uh, Jocasta is also not here. Finally, Wonder Man says, well, let's move him to the Medilab. Gently, guys. So Tony Stark is putting on his Iron Man outfit, and uh, he's talking with, uh, I guess, Jarvis probably still. He's Don. Oh, Don. Well, he's, he's talking to oh, Donald Oh, Blake. okay. He, he, he phoned up Donald Blake. You're right. Okay. He's talking to Thor. Gotcha. Tony Stark, implausible as it sounds, Cap's been mugged. It's something bad. You're needed. You'll make your, way, your own way to the mansion? Good. I'll meet you there. Huh? The intercom? What is it, Miss Abogast? Arbogast. <laughs> so, so does Miss Arbogast? Does Miss Arbogast know that Tony Stark is Iron Man? Probably not. So, when they see Tony Stark walk in and Iron Man walk out, they're not like, "Oh, that's normal." Well, the cover is that Iron Man is Tony Stark's bodyguard. I know, but you, so, notice you never see him together. <laughs> I, I never. What are you suggesting? <laughs> nothing. 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 But if you think about it, a little weird. Mrs. Arbogast relates the fact that uh, Janet Pym has arrived, and she insists on seeing Tony, even though he's uh, he said he said he wasn't to be disturbed. And she says he he tells her to send Janet Pym the wasp in, and uh, she says as Janet walks in, she says Iron Man, but I thought Tony Stark. He was called away, <laughs> but I'm glad you're here, wasp. And so on. So did Tony Stark just reveal... Does everybody know Wasp's identity? I have no idea. I guess they must. Yeah, I mean, does everybody know that Henry Pym is who Henry Pym is? Or Giant Man or Ant-Man or whoever he is at this point? Yeah, maybe maybe they do. Or, I, I guess I guess he's Yellow Jacket because he says, uh, We could certainly use your and Yellow Jacket's help. <laughs> Of course, Shellhead. It sounds so awful. Will Cap be okay? Seriously, you were just on the, like Mrs. Arbogast was just on the phone with Tony Stark. Where is he? Did he ju- did he jump out the window? Because there's not another door in here. You're Tony Stark, aren't you? I'm pretty sure I just cracked a secret. And the good thing is I'm actually Mystique, so I can really use this to my advantage. Uh yes, it is actually Wasp throws like a Iron Man inhibitor on Iron Man's back. 
And uh, what it does is it renders all power systems completely dysfunctional. So uh, Iron Man is now nothing more than a statue, a gaily painted statue. Your shape, it's changing. Who are you? I am Mystique. I lead. Wait, she's got like a German accent. I lead. Remember Baroness. Uh, Oh, man. I gotta go back to the Baroness. (laughs) Ja, darling. I lead the Brotherhood. (laughs) That's more of a Russian thing. I lead the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. You might call Rogue my protege. Who said anything about Rogue? (laughs) What's going on here? What's a Rogue? What are you talking about? (laughs) Uh, I pity your friend Shellhead. Like you and Captain America, they'll never know what hit them. Seriously? (laughs) How how does she know? Like, why is she talking about Rogue? Uh, that is a really good question. Nobody knows who attacked Captain America. They didn't see her. Only the professor... No, you're right. No, only the professor knows the name Rogue and Spider-Woman. And Spider-Woman. But, yeah. yeah, you're right. I have no idea. Well, I mean, actually, spoilers, a little later in the comic book, it says that Mystique is quite a blabbermouth to Iron Man. Oh, okay. So, anyhow, meanwhile, um, it... it Who's the person getting out of the cab here? Is this that's not Thor? That's Spider Woman. That's Spider Woman. Okay, so she is tracking down a lead. Yes. Professor Xavier stayed on the coast to do what he could for Carol, the poor woman. I hope she's been all right. <laughs> that was really good, Adam. Uh, <laughs> Aurora wanted to help, but. Uh, there's no sense involving the, I, again, why would, why would the, why is there no sense involving the X-Men? Because Adam, this is the Avengers annual, not an X-Men comic book. That woman in green running into the service alley. She's the one Xavier showed me. The woman he believes attacked Carol. Meanwhile, <laughs> behind the mansion, uh, Thor shows up and says that, uh, well, I don't know. Anthony Stark is not given to hyperbole, so Captain America must be hurt. Uh, but this situation doesn't require Thor. It requires somebody else. And Donald Blake. What's needed this evening are the medical skills of Dr. Donald Blake. I, and I love this. And I got some questions about this here in a minute. But I love it because Thor lands, slams down his hammer, turns into Donald Blake, who's what? He's like a crippled guy with a cane? I think no, he's, he's he's not crippled. He's just got a cane. Oh. I mean, he walks with a cane because Mjolnir turns into a cane. Right. And so he turns into Donald Blake, and at that point, a hand comes out of nowhere and knocks him the heck out. Too true, Doc. So I would imagine that when Thor was originally created, Dr. Donald Blake was his secret identity. But does he still have a secret identity, or does everybody know that Donald Blake is Thor? I believe Iron Man knows that Donald Blake is Thor, and well, perhaps Captain America, but nobody else. Well, Rogue does now, because she just saw <laughs> Thor land, tap his hammer, turn into Donald Blake, and now she cracked him over the side of the head. What is? Uh, what do you think Donald Blake says as Rogue cracks him over the head? Yeah, something like this. <laughs> Probably. So, my question then also is, uh, is Thor... And Donald Blake, are they the same person? Or is it like a Hulk, David, or Bruce Banner type relationship? You know, I have no idea. Or does Donald Blake just not even exist and he's just like a cover for Thor? 
I got no clue. Okay, because it seems like later on in Marvel Universe, like Donald Blake is just gone. Yeah, I think so. So I, I, I don't know. It might be his secret identity, his humanoid form. Maybe it's just some dude. Now <laughs> Thor is a is a woman, right? So does that? I mean, is Thor even a person, or is he just a, a concept that like hosts a body? I well, I guess. I mean, I, I don't really. I know that Thor is his name. Um, yeah. But but then isn't the uh, doesn't the hammer say like he who is worthy of uh, this hammer shall be known as Thor or something oh, like that? That could be. So I don't know. Maybe it's not really his name. So anybody, I, I, I have no clue about yeah. anything about Thor. Because yeah, I mean we know that we also know that Thor is the son of Odin from Asgard. So that means that. Like not like the Juggernaut where he finds the Crimson Bands of Sidorak and turns from Cain Marco into the Juggernaut. It's not like Donald Blake found this mystic hammer which said he was worthy and he turned into Thor. Right. And let uh, well whatever I don't know Thor historians. Even though this isn't the Thor podcast, Adam and I would like to know. So write in, tell us. Brief history on Thor one hundred one. Yeah, like keep it to like a like a paragraph, like a four line paragraph. Yeah, just answer the questions we just asked. Yep. Thanks. All right, no. moving on. <laughs> Uh, so Rogue, she has knocked out Dr. Donald Blake, but behind her, hot on her trails, was Spider-Woman, who says, Leave him alone! <laughs> that horrible voice, who? <laughs> Name it Spider-Woman, Rogue! <laughs> I have been looking forward to this meeting ever since I hold Carol Danvers out of the Golden Gate. She's alive, no thanks to you, and you're going to pay for what you did to her. Rogue's like, do tell, honey, how you get a date with a voice like that? Sugar? I have a very nice body. (laughs) Do you see what I'm wearing? (laughs) Nobody's listening to me when I talk. Uh, Donald Blake, he is not out for the count, though. All he needs to do is get a grasp of his Mjolnir cane and tap it on the ground so he can turn into Thor. Rogue is uh, powerless against Spider-Woman because Spider-Woman's costume covers her, her entire body except for her chin. Well, and she's really fast and agile, so she can't get a hold of him. I can't get her chin! <laughs> I want to kiss her like I kissed Captain America. Kiss is a kiss, you know. And she's so fast and agile, I haven't been able to hit her. And that's when Thor grabs Rogue. Old woman, Thor knowest not who thou art. (laughs) Rogue says. (laughs) But it doesn't last long because Rogue turns around and grabs onto Thor's face and hand. I'm Rogue, darling. And you have my eternal gratitude for handing me victory on the proverbial silver platter. Thor says, <laughs> and he's out for the count. And that's when Spider-Woman realizes what's going on. She's absorbing Thor's powers. The transfer doesn't seem to be complete. Perhaps I can still tap her with a venom blast. So she shoots at Rogue, and I really, I don't know why, but I really like this panel where she's hit by the Venom Blast, she's clearly invulnerable, it's just a green glow, and she's got this giant Joker-esque smile on her face. I don't know why, it's not like specifically well-drawn, but I just, it's, 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 a, it's a memorable panel. Uh, Hawkeye comes out and says, 
Cripes, Thor's being trashed by a woman? <laughs> He's a jerk. <laughs> the female in green is unknown to me, says Vision. Iron Man's? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they share voice uh, uh, boxes. <laughs> and so uh, Vision comes running towards Rogue, who has gone from that awesome panel to a slightly confused look now. Oh. Vision's coming fast. He's a synthesoid, a sentient mechanism. My power only works on living beings. I can't absorb his abilities. I have to destroy him. Mystique taught me how he fights. He'll probably reduce his density to a firmer state and then make part of his body solid with mine, hoping that stress will stun me. But if I use Thor as a shield, fear of hurting his fellow Avengers should throw him off long enough. No! For me to administer a instant coup de grace. Yep. Welcome to Wikipedia of Rogue's powers and Vision's uh, vulnerabilities. If I hadn't seen it with my own eyes, I wouldn't have believed you KO'd the Vision with one punch. Huh? I slammed into you. Uh, what was Wonder Man slamming into her with his full rocket pack? Oh, he does have a rocket pack. Huh. I slammed into you full force and you're still standing. That's right, Wonder Man. You're fighting someone who possesses the aggregate power of Thor, Captain America, and Miss Marvel. Miss Marvel? But that's impossible. Gurk. <laughs> and I'm about to add your abilities to my collection, sugar. But something's wrong. She's touching him, and nothing is happening except for his eyes are turning into, like, flaming, well, kind of phoenixy looking type figures well his eyes are his eyes always look like that that's why oh. he wears those glasses and uh she realizes that he's not human so that adam what is wonder man uh he's a clone or something like that i mean we saw him way back in our x-men sub stories uh vision was like holding him in the sewers or something like that right uh vision and wonder man both come from the same like dna i guess Oh, um, and I, isn't and doesn't it doesn't it go back to like the old days of Marvel? Like, isn't Vision the Human Torch or something? I think they connected that. I think they strongly hinted at it for a long time, and then finally conf uh, uh, confirmed it. But Wonder Man doesn't. I don't think. But Wonder Man showed up in like Avengers, like really early in the Avengers as a villain. Oh, um, I don't think his name was Wonder Man. I think it was something else. Evil Man. Um, but uh evil wonder man <laughs> and uh but yeah he and the vision like vision is the robot version of uh the same guy that wonder man is sort of the zombie version of oh interesting. which is like the original guy that the avengers fought okay but vision is also somehow connected to the human torch right uh human torch was also a cyborg or android or something like that this is not the avengers podcast which is why we know nothing <laughs> exactly if we're stumbling around with our avengers facts and you're listening going like these guys are clowns it's because we don't know avengers anyways uh so rogue grabs uh, deciding that she can't do anything with wonder man she throws him into a dumpster against a dumpster even on the way he shouts <laughs> and it makes a giant wham sound so that's three I couldn't affect. Two more than Mystique and I bargained for. If I stay, I could probably kill them all, but I can't afford the risk. 
what's with what's at stake mistake with what's at stake mystique would skin me alive ta ta darlings i hate to win and run but i have a prior engagement don't fret though we'll do this again sometime real soon so that's where i guess i get a little lost and maybe somewhere in the comic book it'll tell us but uh what is the risk like again what are they trying to do did i miss something adam Mystique told Rogue to go steal a whole bunch of Avengers powers for what use we don't know. Yes, that is correct. Okay, I'm waiting for that use to be to, to be presented. Meanwhile, in the event, the Great Hall of the Avengers, whatever they call it, Spider Woman reveals that she is uh, doing some PI duty about Carol Danvers. She says. Six months ago, Miss Marvel and Carol Danvers uh, vanished simultaneously from New York which we know about, as we know. Mm-hmm. Uh, three months ago, however, she, according to Lieutenant Morell, Carol surfaced in San Francisco, where she lived peacefully, unobtrusively, until last night, when I believe Rogue tried to kill her. You seem to find this astonishing. Why? Scarlet Witch stands up and she says that they didn't think that they would ever see Carol again. She was only an Avenger for a short time, uh, but uh, Scarlet Witch feels that she knew her the best. Yet, in retrospect, and she says this like Adam West, yet, in retrospect, I hardly knew her at all. A very poor Adam West, but still Adam West nonetheless. <laughs> chum. <laughs> Old chum. Wonder Man chimes in. She was a strong, self-reliant, uh, take-charge lady. Some people found that a bit daunting, but she was also a very private person, and uh, because of that, some believed her to be on the emotionless, uh, to be an emotionless ice maiden. But they were wrong. I had a crush on her. <laughs> yeah, she wanted me. <laughs> then they recap the stuff that uh, we've already talked about, where she gets pregnant, Carol Danvers gets pregnant, and overnight gives birth to a baby that grows up into a man that turns out to be Marcus, whose father was a mortis. He lived in limbo and um, made Miss Marvel pregnant with himself. Time moves differently in limbo. So I guess the way it works is that Marcus, Marcus pulled, uh, Marcus pulled Ms. Marvel into limbo I guess impregnated her and then put her back onto Earth so that Ms. Marvel could give birth to Marcus. Right. At which point... (laughs) Doing this caused the timelines to get all screwed up. Mm -hmm. And um, so Marcus started building a machine to fix that, but Hawkeye thought he was a bad guy, so he destroyed the machine and that forced... uh, Marcus to have to go back to limbo and Carol offered to join him. He'd been in love with her from the start. That was partly why he'd come to earth. Now she'd fallen in love with him. Thor opened up a dimension portal with his Uru hammer and off they went happily to live ever after. Right. So let's just, just say that again. Marcus stole Carol Danvers, impregnated her, put her back on earth to give birth to him, to himself grew into a man in a matter of days, and then wooed her to fall in love with the creature that she had given birth to. Something that, like, three days ago was inside of her womb. <laughs> not, only, not only that, but he, he says, and they don't mention it yet in the issue, but uh, they will later. Uh, it, in the issues that they're referring to, he says... I didn't want to use the uh, the machines that my father created to woo my mother. 
which made her fall in love with him. But I kind of used him a little bit. Yes. To really, because things were happening slowly. <laughs> yeah, I was born and I was born and turned into a man in three days. I can't wait two hours for her to fall in love with me. So I hit the button. I, I needed to jumpstart the love. <laughs> <laughs> but after that, it was all natural. Trust me, guys, it's cool. So uh, I just gotta wonder, like the people, the creative staff that came up with that storyline, were they were they run out of the Marvel bullpen? Being like, you can't sell this to children. It's weird and wrong. I don't think so. We're like, yeah, you know, that was an interesting idea, but let's not do that again. I, 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 I don't, I don't <laughs> think anybody, except for Chris Claremont, cared. cared. <laughs> yeah, I Chris suppose. Claremont may have only cared just because, like, he was writing Miss Marvel. I don't know if he's a co-creator of Miss Marvel or not, but he was writing her comic when it got canceled. Hmm. Well, anyways, so Spider-Woman assumes that since she was living out on the uh, coast, that apparently things with Marcus must not have worked out. But why didn't she try to contact you? She still possessed the powers of Miss Marvel. Elsro couldn't have stolen him. Why didn't she ever use him? Or, or use use them? Uh, so did the Avengers just tell her that Carol Danvers was Miss Marvel? That's kind of a breach of confidentiality uh that's a really good question did she know because the professor told her or did they just kind of confirm what maybe she already suspected did the professor tell her no not on the page but maybe like in between the time she was at the hospital in the avengers mansion maybe out for coffee or something like yes by the way carol Danvers is miss marvel (laughs) i know that because i read her mind i already figured that out professor i'm a pi I psychically made you think that. Shut up. <laughs> I psychically told you to say that. <laughs> uh, the Beast is running some comparison scans on the data supplied from Carol on Captain America and Thor, and it appears that the state that they are in is temporary, though he does not know how long it will last. But where's Iron Man? <laughs> Nothing since we first phoned him. I'm afraid we'll have to assume the worst. <clears throat> Do we mention that this was chapter three? Because it's, uh, it's just about over. Oh, uh, this is chapter three. <laughs> it's, just, it's just about over. Yes. We, uh, they have a tracking device on Rogue. Are you sure? Or is this a tracking device on Iron Man? In a way, it was fortunate that Ms. Marvel was one of the ones attacked, blah, blah, blah. Oh, her hybrid Cree-human metabolism broadcast a unique energy aura. When Rorg absorbed her power, she took that aura as well. So they are scanning Ms. Marvel's aura, which Rogue has absorbed. Woo! She is crossing Randall's Island moving almost. No, 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 no. no. She is crossing Randall's (laughs) Island moving almost due east. Where could she be heading? That's Jocasta. I believe I know Jocasta. <laughs> and if I'm right, our troubles may have only just begun. Chapter 4. Now we're on Riker's Island, and it is midnight, and a, and a like a hover jet thing flies into the prison. Originally, this was a city jail, but to raise money during New York's ongoing fiscal crisis, a section of the prison was leased to the federal government to be used for the incarceration of so-called super-criminals. Whoa. Among the inmates are the brother members of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. One of them is Destiny, a blind melon, a blind, blind melon, a <laughs> blind woman with psychic ability to, quote, see the future. 
Spirally, my friend. It sounds just like Spider Woman. Well, she's old. Our deliverances. <laughs> uh, prunes. At home. At hand. Does anybody have any hard candy? <laughs> so, from the, the ship that's flying over Riker's, Rogue tosses Iron Man um, at Riker's Island, basically. Bombs away, sugar. Happy landings. This is infuriating. This is infuriating. He's thinking. <laughs> oh, this is infuriating and embarrassing. So long as Mystique's inhibitor is attached to my armor, I'm helpless. Helpless he is, and he uh, crashes exactly where he's supposed to, into the main generator, which uh, causes the power to go out throughout the prison. But only four inmates are prepared to take advantage of their golden opportunity. One of them is Destiny. Yep. A mutant known as Naked Blob is another. Hey, I want to point something out, and I, I just stumbled across this, uh, I think today, as I was just looking at our webpage, but when um, Blob escapes from prison in X-Men number 140, he is also naked. <laughs> so is this just how they incarcerate Blob? They just strip him of all his clothes? <laughs> Take his clothes off. <laughs> no, no. This is the punishment for the guards that mess up. You got to go take Blob's clothes off. Oh, God. I'm sorry. Anyways, apparently somebody likes to draw a naked Blob. Apparently everybody does. The others that are willing or uh, ready to take advantage of it is Avalanche, who can crumble. Wait, wait. Oh. Jeremy. What? What sound does Iron Man make as he flies through the air into the generator? <laughs> it's a long fall. It would be more like, <laughs> How do you do the robot version of that? Uh, <laughs> Avalanche uh, crumbles some of the building and then Pyro, uh, who is able to control living flame, he shepherds destiny along because apparently uh, there's no flame for him to control right now. What's your pre-cag talent? Show us love when we pull off the scaper. Pull the scaper off even. I have a lot of dialogue here and it's going to take me a long time to say it. Nothing is certain until it happens, Pyro. I don't know. <laughs> Just chill out, will ya? Dress me in my fancy, sexy robes. I'm a very old lady until I put my costume on. Then I got legs that go from here to tomorrow. In the courtyard, the four... Wait, why am I reading that? In the courtyard, the four escapees rendezvous with Mystique, and instead of escaping, they don their costumes. Sure, why not? So there they are. Everybody's in costume. The band is back together. And uh, them changing into their costume has given some time for the Avengers to land. And I was wrong. Wonder Man jumps out of the plane and says, or somebody says, Avengers assemble! Let's assume it was Spider-Woman. Avengers assemble! So this here doesn't look like he has a jet pack. He's looks got like... a jet pack. He's got <clears throat> fire coming out of his butt. <laughs> Exactly what it looks like. Fire coming out of his butt. <laughs> Who are these bozos anyway? Hawkeye asks. You were right, Spider-Woman. This is a prison break. So this is what the whole thing is all about. They That's it? They're breaking the rest of the Brotherhood out of jail. So they kidnapped Iron Man to destroy the, the generator. And uh, they're making sure that they have muscle using Rogue. Wow. So that's, that's the whole plan. I thought the plan like went on. Like, 
we're not even halfway through this comic book yet, Adam. I thought it was like to break them, to get all the powers, to break them out, and then pull off like some sort of heist. But then the heist never happened, so. I don't think there's a heist. I think they were just trying to break them out. I mean, I'm, I imagine there will be a heist later, but I, I think by later, Rogue's powers will be gone. Okay. Uh, I want to draw your attention to Beast. Like, what's going on here? This is a classic Jim Lee Beast pose. Is it? It's like his sort of. his left but... hand is going through his two legs, which are up by his chin. His other arm is behind his back, and his mouth is just wide open. Doesn't Jim Lee draw this, like, Beast doing this all the time? Yeah, but he does a better job of it than... Uh... <laughs> he stole... He got everything he learned, he learned from Michael Golden. Yeah. I... So they all swing into action. Be careful, says uh, Scarlet Witch. Rogue is steals powers, and Vision says, uh, a new incarnation of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, Hawkeye. Last November in Washington, D.C., all save Mystique were captured by the mutant X-Men when the, uh, they attempted the assassination of Senator Robert Kelly. To which I would say, if I was Hawkeye, wait, the X-Men attempted the assassination of Senator Robert Kelly? <laughs> we just saw them. Shouldn't we have apprehended them? No, I'm sorry. I misspoke. <laughs> I am a robot. I am a synthoid and not a very good one. I'm not very good at this speaking thing. Avalanche got no time for any of this, so he swings into action by crumbling some stuff. Yep, knocking the Avengers ship and most of the Avengers... I guess into the water. Yeah. Uh, at this point, uh, Pyro fires up his uh, his flamethrowers and creates a gigantic firebird. Kind of kind of looks like Phoenix. He makes a blob joke. None of us are lightweights, especially dare I say it, the blob. <laughs> I made a funny. Yeah, that Englishman created a giant bird made of fire. Get out of here, Spider Woman, before this thing barbecues us. Iron Man is somewhere inside the prison. I'll try to find him. I'm just as likely to get barbecued by your stupid jetpack. <laughs> uh, Destiny here is... she, So she doesn't have absolute control over uh, seeing the future. She can only see fragments of it. So Destiny is useless. <laughs> she is pretty useless, but she's out here. Spider-Woman is dangerous, Mystique. If she rescues Iron Man... His power could tip the scales against us. She is the one who saved Carol Danvers' life. Leave her to me, Destiny. The Brotherhood is in your hands. Guide them well. Yeah, lead them, blind lady. <laughs> Control your emotions, Mystique, lest your hatred for the Danvers woman lead us all to destruction. Take care, Raven Darkholm. They are lovers. <laughs> And you're too, Irene. So, is this a typo, or is this like her pet name for Irene? It's probably her pet name. Irene. Oh, okay. She morphs into Nick Fury. Well, do you know that for a fact? I did, because I could see <laughs> the eye patch in the hair. Yeah, right. And the I don't know where the gun comes from. Yeah, it's... It seemed to me, you're right, I mean, it's definitely Nick Fury, but, I mean, it's plausible that, that I mean, because it goes, like, three or four pages before you're going to see Nick Fury again. So it seems like what they were attempting to do is, like, show you a little bit and, like, maybe get your mind working, but then show you a whole bunch of other stuff so that you completely forget so that when Nick Fury does show up, you're like, oh, Nick Fury's in this issue. 
Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. But I just spoiled it, so. <laughs> Forget what you just heard. Uh, and we've also kind of established that Mystique is an is a like a nemesis of Miss Marvel from the Miss Marvel comic book, kind of, haven't we? Yes. Okay. All right. So, meanwhile, Pyro's little flame bird is still attacking the Avengers. Wonder Man is flying around. Be honest, I have to, I have a beef with Miss uh, with Mystique's hatred of Carol Danvers, which I'll get to later. All right. Uh, Destiny is firing out some orders. Pyro, transform your phoenix into a hammer of flame when wonder. <sighs> wonder Man loops beneath the firebird. Now. <laughs> I'm, he, he hit me in my head. I'm bleeding everywhere. We've lost this fight, Destiny. We must run. Why couldn't you have spoken quicker? Sorry. <laughs> so tired. I had health care in that prison. Where am I going to get my pills? Are you going to get them for me, Blob? <laughs> Wait, she's speaking faster now. Because <laughs> she's angry. Blob's like, I didn't sign up for this. Uh, no. Uh, so uh, as good as, as good as done, love. So Destiny says, huh? No. For, oh, no, no, this... This is a uh, this is Wonder Man who is get who gets caught by the trap, but kind of looks like Destiny because of the way he's shadowed. He looks all wrinkly and gray hair. He's got glasses. I know. That's how you recognize Wonder Man. Yeah, yeah. So Wonder Man gets caught in this flame. Doesn't Pyro control flames? Yes. And isn't flame shooting out of Wonder Man's jetpack? <laughs> yeah, but you look at the flames that are coming out of Wonder Man's jetpack, and they're more like energy with those little black plasma-y looking thing so so like havoc yeah it's not fire it's it's hot but it's not flame okay my question is how does he not burn his knees every time he bends them underneath his jetpack maybe it's just like you're right it's just it's just pressure okay it's like cyclops's optic blast combined with havoc's uh fancy blast thingies you called that shot right on a button destiny even though the flames don't seem to be hurting him any. He screams. <laughs> Poor Wonder Man. It must really hurt. Blob jumps in, though, and he uh, he punches Wonder Man in the chest. Which knocks him really far away through another piece of the prison with a mighty boom and probably another scream. <laughs> Jeez, man, everyone's just getting hurt. So uh, we've got Vision, Jocasta, who has done nothing, and uh, Scarlet Witch, uh, who's also, I guess, done nothing at this point, laying in the hole that was created by Avalanche. All right, Jocasta, I just need to clear my head, take a little nap. I'm pretty. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hawkeye springs to action. He wants to shoot his bow and arrow. These creeps are murdering us, and they haven't even unlibered their big gun rogue yet. Take heart, take heart, Hawk. The bigger the challenge, the bigger, uh, uh, the better I like it. And this challenge is a doozy. How <laughs> a bunga, sweetums! The Avengers have only just begun to fight. Meow. Pyro, Hawkeye, will fire a smoke arrow. 
I got smoke in my face. Ah, it's burning me. Why didn't you tell me what it was going to do? Wait for it. <laughs> to mask the beast's movements while he attacks. Oh, my God. The beast is killing us. He's ripping us to shreds. Why can't you tell us where his movements are taking him? The blob. <laughs> Help me. I can't see through the smoke and Beast is ripping out my eyes. <laughs> None of that happens. Uh, so Beast throws in a trick. He, he, he does kind of do, they do kind of do what she says, but he uh, barely nicks uh, Blob in the face. Blob makes fun of him, but his real target was to punch uh, Pyro in the head so that we could stop this big flame monster. Tish, tish, Destiny, I do believe you made an error. Ta-da! And for my encore, natural bond, mademoiselle. Destiny, what about it? He lands with a very accentuated pirouette. Oh, she says, Beast, do you play chess? And that's when he says, natural bond, mademoiselle. What about it? Uh, she says, the str- uh, she talks about, well, this is Destiny still, I think, but <laughs> so very slowly she says, then you know the stratagem of sacrificing a lesser piece to take a major piece of one's foe. I knew precisely that you would do this and precisely where you would land. And then I wonder, what the hell has happened to Beast's face here? <laughs> it's an extreme close-up. He's looking up. <laughs> but his head is all lopsided. There's one eye... No, it's a, just a close-up. It's it's like a, at a weird angle. It's a, this is this makes no sense. It makes perfect sense. It makes it's a weird no, angle. No, it makes just no a sense. weird angle. His eyeball is looking down at us, but he's supposed to be looking up in the air. His other eyeball is missing. His forehead is missing. I get that he's looking up. No, but... no, it's the camera is at a like a downward angle from extremely zoomed in. His eyeball is looking up. But no, his eyebrow is not looking where his head is looking. That's the whole problem with this panel. I see what you're saying. Because if you cover, if you cover his mouth and then okay. look at it, it just looks crazy. It looks like a mutant eyeball <laughs> <laughs> just sitting in a in a pile of, of of blue, and you can infer that there's a nose below it. He is a mutant. <laughs> Anyways, it's this is this is my, this is the only panel I have a problem with this in this whole comic book. So at this point, Rogue is grabbing another tower and tosses it on top of beast who says oops yeah he doesn't scream he's oopsie <laughs> this is really gonna run amuck in my fur <laughs> shoot babe <laughs> i wanted to waste that xx man myself hey the vision rising out of the ground like a ghost <laughs> blob says as vision uh Faces into uh, Beast's body and says, Incredible, I have increased my density to near normal. The strain within the blob must be unendurable, yet he still stands. That's more than you can be, it's more than can be said for you, Vision, honey. And Rogue shows up and sucker punches Vision in the back of the head, knocking him unconscious. Hawkeye is uh, lining up a second arrow. He's really effective. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's more effective than Joe Costa. I shot one arrow. Hmm, where should I shoot this second arrow? Huh, maybe over there? No. Hmm. How about up there? No. Eh, yeah, well, I'll just let it fly. 
If I had any smarts, I'd vamoose, but that ain't my style, because I'm a good guy. I'm not even sure why I'm thinking of that. <laughs> I got no powers. Playing a bunch of people with superhero powers, superhuman powers. Avalanche. Hawkeye mustn't fire that arrow. Gotcha, Destiny. <laughs> Doesn't look like he's about to at any rate. He's just standing there, <laughs> thinking to himself. So apparently, all this time that Avalanche is thinking to himself, he decides to use his powers, and a split second before he uses his powers, Hawkeye releases his arrow and lets off like a little flash arrow, but the Avalanche hits Hawkeye, and Hawkeye goes flying backwards, but most of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants is blinded. My eyes, I can't see. No. Oh, wait, that's blob. My eyes, I can't see. (laughs) Much better. (laughs) Blob's in pretty bad shape, Destiny, but I'm pretty much okay. Good. <laughs> Things are gotta go. <laughs> I'm gonna go over here right now. Wait. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> so meanwhile, Spider-Woman has now found the main generator uh, room, and inside has also found Iron Man, and wonders, Why are you frozen, uh, Destiny does tell Rogue to kill Spider-Woman. Oh, that's right. That's sort of important, I Destiny guess. does know that Spider-Woman is the linchpin to this whole operation, I guess. <laughs> Circuitry inhibitor, that crab-legged module attached to my left shoulder. So long as it's in place, all my power systems are rendered inert. And once it's removed, I'll still need a hefty jolt of electricity to get going again. I'll try to get it off. Try it off. Careful, Spider-Woman. That thing may be booby-chapped. Nick Fury! (laughs) Yup. (laughs) Yep, it's me, babe. What's up? Iron Man whispers over to Spider-Woman, saying, like, "Uh, my assailant is a shape-changer. And by the way, Nick Fury is attending a NATO secret... uh, Well, he's whispering, so it'd be like... In NATO secret conference in London. Well, he, he he probably just has he just lowers the volume on his oh. thing, so he sounds the same. It's just very quiet. So unless <laughs> the mutant who captured me, Mystique, is a shape changer, and Nick Fury is attending a NATO security conference in London. So unless he can be in two places at once. I get the picture. Spider-Woman tries to whisper. (laughs) (laughs) I thought something about Nicholas didn't feel right. I'm glad to see my suspicions confirmed. I better not let him know I totally thought it was him. (laughs) (laughs) And so apparently Rogue had debriefed Mystique on how fast and agile Spider-Woman was. She's firing the M16 on full automatic, and the bullets aren't even coming close. Is that Mystique's true? Is that Mystique's true appearance? Her features resemble nightcrawlers. Could there be a connection? Ooh, future plot point. Maybe. <laughs> She's out of ammunition. A venom blast should end their duel. Uh, but uh, it, it don't? Yeah, nothing. She fired at close range. It had no effect. Uh... Or she had effective, co- she had no effective coverage, and yet somehow Mystique missed every time. Uh, she can't take the time to search for 
her while Iron Man is so vulnerable. Is this who's talking? Oh, that's Spider Woman <laughs> that's talking. Spider Woman. Good Lord, I thought it was Mystique. All right, so Spider Woman was trying to shoot at Mystique and was missing, and apparently Mystique was trying to shoot at Spider Woman and she was missing. So either way, Rogue comes flying in. A reminder: she can fly because she stole Ms. Marvel's powers. Really hasn't been using that this whole issue. Someone running from the generator building. It's Mystique. She wouldn't be hustling like that if her mission was successful. I think I arrived to back her up in the proverbial nick of Shazam. (laughs) And she is blasted by Iron Man. She screams. Oh, yes, she does. (laughs) Iron Man! Wait! Rogue possesses the combined powers! I know. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, she. this is where he says, while I was the Brotherhood's prisoner, she told me everything in graphic detail. I think referring to Mystique. Right. But you remove the inhibitor module and your bioelectric venom blasts have recharged my energy cells and I'm, ba- I'm back in business. And I'm going to punch Rogue. And punch her. She does. Or he does. And she punches him right back. My goodness, sugar, you certainly are no gentleman, but then what else can one expect from a Yankee? I felt his punch. The powers I absorbed from Thor and Captain America must be wearing off. I possess Miss Marvel's abilities permanently, but I don't know if they'll be enough to defeat all the Avengers. Uh, Destiny points out that Mystique's plan depended on speed and surprise, and that's no. Uh, the, the, the longer the struggle goes on, the worse our chances become. Now, see, here again, is the plan to escape, or was the plan to, like, go do something after the escape? No, but if the plan depended upon speed and surprise, then why did they take the time to get dressed? (laughs) Right, that's the whole fallacy. Like, they should have just taken Naked Blob onto their little plane and flown away. Speed and surprise, people. (laughs) Not putting your costumes on. Well, speaking of speed and surprise... uh, the Scarlet Witch comes out and she decides to cast a hex spell on uh, the remaining Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. She waves her hand. She doesn't know what's going to happen, but uh, anything can happen. And what does happen is that an old underground gas main uh, ruptures and explodes. She's back. The witch is back in action. Oh, yeah. Destiny's unconscious. So that's going to help out everybody. It'll speed things up, at least. <laughs> yes. Iron Man's repulsors raise. They hurt Rogue. So Iron Man shot Rogue. Rogue's uh, wounded. Um, Why where does uh, Rogue go IE? Oh, because she, she got shot off panel by uh, yeah. Iron Man. I see. It doesn't really. Well, it's, this is kind of a, a say, don't show type type thing here. Well, yeah. Well, they, they say it in the next panel. It just, uh, yeah. yeah. It's just a little tricky to figure out what's happening here. She gets blasted, and then the next panel, they explain it. Iron Man's repulsor rays. They hurt Rogue. If I can twist fear her grip, did it. But that's close to the ground, so close. Have I room to glide? Iron Man! Don't worry, Spider-Woman. I'll catch you. No, look at Rogue. She's weakening. So Rogue's kind of panicking. She's trying to figure out what's going on. She's realizing that she's losing the powers that she had absorbed earlier. Uh, and that's when she hears Mystique call out for her. You, you're running? What about the others? They'll be captured. So will we if we stay, Rogue. I, Deeper. I don't know what I'm... Baroness. Deeper. 
Mm, Deathrow. Can do our friends far more good as free agents than as fellow prisoners. Now climb aboard or be left behind. So this is actually it's a converty plane. It's a top secret design. This is Iron Man thinking to himself. Only a handful have been built. How did Mystique even learn of its existence, much less get a hold of one? And the inhibitor module she used me is the latest thing in S.H.I.E.L.D. hardware. Somehow Mystique has access to the most sophisticated weaponry in America's arsenal. Gee, could it be the fact that she can disguise herself as Nick Fury, the head of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Maybe. Nah. Nah. Probably not. Uh, And that's when uh, Spider-Woman says, Iron Man, look at the courtyard. Good grief, says Charlie Brown. Good grief. It's a full-page spread of the Scarlet Witch casting a hex spell on uh, the flame creature. Is the flame creature still around? Well, Pyro is controlling uh, oh, the, the flame creature that create was created when the gas main exploded. Got it. And uh, so, yeah. Uh, under her desperate onslaught, reality twisted, shattered, reformed, before Pyro's disbelieving eyes, the very substance of his construct changed from living flame to unliving stone. So this is kind of an amalgamation of fire turning into stone. Yeah, this kind is kind of cool. Uh, yeah. I thought it was fire fighting stone when I look at the panel, but and if you really, I guess, yeah, if you really start focusing not. in on the panel, like you can see. Like the head and the eye and the claws and right, right. Like at first you look at this and it just looks like a mess of crap going on. But it's not a bird though. He usually makes birds. Yeah, this is definitely some sort of flame dinosaur Godzilla type creature. Yeah. In in uh uh, he's he's Australian, right? Right then, in prison they let us watch a monster movie. I've been wanting to practice this for a while. It's a monster wallaby with (laughs) teeth. Is he? Oh. Uh, good day. No, that's still Australian. <laughs> Tip-top cheerio. Anyways, uh... <laughs> it, it's a dead parrot, everybody. It's a dead parrot. Parrot's definitely... Monty Python, anybody? All right. You, you, you haven't changed your accent at all. Doesn't matter. I referenced Monty Python. <laughs> Therefore, it's British. All right, so anyways, uh... The Iron Man jumps in. Iron Man, uh has to let the converty plane escape blast and he trans he, he uses his repulsor rays to destroy the statue that uh miss hex creator created yeah um, that's scarlet witch meanwhile uh hawkeye is setting up his third arrow for the night <laughs> <laughs> i get three three a night and that's it these things are expensive not too shabby, shellhead. If I ever want anything demolished, you're the guy I'll call to do it. Uh-oh, Pyro's monster may have been zapped, but not the man himself. He's setting up for another try. I don't think Wanda can handle that. And if this, ain't, this amazing archer has anything to say about it, she won't have to try. And he shoots like a plunger arrow at him. Pop! <laughs> Ow! <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't scream. He just kind of gets annoyingly hit on the head. Ow. But I guess it's enough to knock him out. Uh, meanwhile, though, uh, Wonder Man has brought over a big uh, water tank that he was going to apparently use to douse the fire. But uh, does not. <laughs> looks like you uh, you won't be needing my help against Pyro. All right, I'll just put this back. 
It's really heavy. and went to a lot of effort to get it, but uh, I'll be over here. Gonna go put this back where I got it from. <laughs> See you in ten minutes. Yes, I'm Wonder Man. Well, meanwhile... Some people have all the luck. Me, I got cast as the Wicked Witch of the East in an impromptu rogue show of the Wizard of Oz. Hey, you guys, anybody seen my ruby slippers? I seem to be stuck. Why do we let him on our team? Avalanche returns and starts throwing stuff. Avalanche, he's melting that wrecked guard tower into a tidal wave. The beast will be killed. That's Joe Costa's only element of help here. <laughs> She's pointing out the obvious. Not if I can help it, Jocasta, says Scarlet Witch. Look out below. So uh, Beast is stuck, I guess. Uh, Wanda casts a little hex, be- uh, uh, hex spell, and uh, Beast goes falling out of where he was stuck and lands on Avalanche's head, knocking Avalanche out. And I had a thought about this. Do you think uh, at the Avengers Mansion, Scarlet Witch and Beast reminisce about the old days? Sure, why not? Remember when you were trying to kill me? (laughs) Ah, those were dark days. I've changed. (laughs) Yeah. I know Magneto's real name. (laughs) I know all of his weaknesses. know where all of his bases are, too, but I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) I don't really care. (laughs) I'm not an X-Man anymore. Well, the blob comes in and says, you think everything's going your way, don't you, heroes? Well, you still gotta beat the blob. Say goodbye to your robot, sweetie witch. Lady, because I'm about to stomp him into scrap. Your description of me is imprecise, blob. I am not a robot, but a synthesoid. And I can foil your assault simply by reducing the density of my physical form to an ephemeral state. Do you remember synthoids from G.I. Joe? Synthoids? Synthoids. No. Cobra In the cartoon, Cobra developed synthoids, which were like a waxy liquid, which was a waxy liquid that could uh, be used to impersonate anybody. And there's this really great episode with Shipwreck where he gets knocked out during battle. He gets kidnapped by Cobra and put into a city where he's created, they've created a future in which he single-handedly defeated Cobra, unmasked Cobra Commander, and now he's like the hero of the town. But he can't remember any of it. And but meanwhile, as he's going around, like these synthoid things keep melting, and he keeps like having like their nightmares, but it's actually really happening. He's having like Sounds this really familiar psychological trauma going on in his head. But meanwhile, Cobra is just off the island. They are kind of controlling this whole thing. Actually, it's a two-parter. It's a really good one. You say shipwreck, and all I can think of is shipwreck, snake eyes, and timber all dancing on stage in a dress. <laughs> in, in the dresses. comic? Was no, that, a... in, that was from the cartoon. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. Even the dog dances. Yeah? That's yeah. On his hind legs, I'll bet? Yep. That's terrible. And snake eyes wears a dress. Oh. It was like a, a Hawaiian dress. You know, one of those luau thingies. That episode sounds terrible, but the one I'm describing was awesome. Anyways, synthoids. Uh, so yeah, he's a he's a synth, synth, synthozoid. Right, not, not quite the not same a, as a synthoid. Not a synthoid. Gotcha. Let us learn if you can fare as well when subjected to thermoscopic eye blasts. Hey, Jeremy, do you remember the episode with uh, thermscop? 
eye blasts from nope. G.I. Joe? No, I don't. Uh, that was a good one. Was it? Uh, it also involved shipwreck. And um, so the thermoscope eye blasts were this thing that mainframe. Okay, I'm making stuff up. <laughs> nice, nice pull, though, with the mainframe. <laughs> was, was snow job there? <laughs> was he giving out free snow jobs? They had to know what they were doing. <laughs> uh, so, yes, Vision hits uh, Blob in the face with his thermoscopic eye blasts. And this is okay. Finally, he says, Jogazda, your resistance is required. And she comes in, and apparently she's got face beams. Fire a fall power energy blast in concert with me at the ground beneath the Blob. That pit won't hold him long. The pit in itself is not meant to hold him at all. Wanda direct a hex sphere at the debris formed by Avalanche's vital de- assault. The last hex left okay. Scarlet Witch very weakened, but she's going to try it one more time because Vision thought it was so important and Vis- or Scarlet Witch trusts him implicitly. So she casts a final hex in which the rubble turns to dust. And I guess Beast, Beast, or I mean Blob falls into the pit. Oh, and uh, Wonder Man's uh, water tower comes in handy as Spider-Woman shoots a venom blast into it, causing the water to merge with the dust, uh, turning into mud, which lands in the hole that they have created to put Blob in, and he says Blorf. I like this panel uh, before the Blorf a lot. I mean, you could look at that immediately and be like, oh, that's a terrible drawing of Blob. But his face is all puffy and swollen from being shot in it by two people. His hair is all burnt. He's got burn marks all over his arm. And he just looks messed up. (laughs) And I like it. And yes, somewhere somebody says, (laughs) and Blorf. (laughs) Blorf! The vision, the vision strategy works to perfection. The flash flood smashes the blob back into the pit. Well, simultaneously, the water combined with the powder wreckage to form a gooey morass. The blob soon finds himself stuck in a pool of muddy quicksand, unable to escape, in imminent danger of drowning. Seeing no alternative, he surrenders. So... Wow. Four chapters, a big battle, a new character introduced... Obviously, you need kind of an epilogue to kind of wrap things up here, and usually you do that in like a page, maybe two pages. But that's where this comic book really shines. Like this particular, there's five more pages to like, we're not done yet, boys and girls. And after all, the episode is called My Friends Betrayed, and we haven't gotten to the My Friends Betrayed part yet. Correct. So So basically, the first four parts were not what the story was about. <laughs> that was all just to fill up the pages of the annual. The last five pages here are what the comic is all about. So, the Avengers, well, I guess uh, before the Avengers show up, uh, they sent Carol Danvers and Spider-Woman back to New York to the mansion so that the professor could work with Carol. And a few, I don't know, days or weeks or whatever later, the Avengers show up for a reunion. And in the second panel, it turns into a Marvel swimsuit issue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Look at these. It's hot. Isn't it, Adam? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty hot. You got shiny bathing suits, a lot of cleavage, storms in a bikini, for God's sakes. 
as far as drawings of women in swimsuits go, this is this, this, these these are some pretty good drawings of women in swimsuits. They're tops. Then you get Carol Danvers and Spider Woman. They're holding hands in swimming suits. Oh my god! Uh, but that's not what this story is about. We get a close up of their hands. <laughs> The professor uh, immediately says, um, X-Men, would you and Jessica please accompany me inside the house? I think it would be best if Carol's reunion with the Avengers were a private one. We must stay if you wish, Carol. Wolverine is cleaning up his beer cans that he has laying next to the swimming pool. And his hat. Yep. Uh, even even Kitty Pride is in a bikini. I know. Jeez. <laughs> she is not hot because she's 13. That's right. This is a this is a serious podcast. How dare you even think that? Didn't I? I yeah, right. You grosso. <laughs> Carol says uh, thanks, Aurora, but no. Spider Woman even offers a little assistance, but uh, this is something that Carol has to do on her own. Apparently, Spider Woman and Carol Danvers have become fast friends, as indicated by the hand squeeze. And if you ever need a call, I'd love to hear from you. And that's when Carol faces all of the fresh, happy-faced Avengers who are wondering, just how the heck is Carol Danvers? Hi, Carol. How are you doing? Better than expected, Hank. I'll never regain all of my memories. But Professor Xavier has helped me remember who I am, who and what I was. I remember my family. I remember you guys. I remember how I came to leave you guys. Bits and pieces, mostly. I have ways to go yet. But I'm forgetting my manners. Please sit down. Would anybody like some iced tea? I'm afraid Wolverine took the beer with him. <laughs> You're looking real good, Cal. What happened to Marcus? After you left with him, we didn't expect to see you two lovebirds again. I'm sure you didn't, Hawkeye. Marcus is dead. What? <laughs> We are very sorry, Carol. You two made a wonderful couple. We hope you'd be happy together. Is there anything we can do to help ease your pain? You shut up, Iron Man! You just shut up! I mean, didn't you do enough to cause it? She throws the iced tea or lemonade or whatever it is on the ground. Well, it's probably more of a startled drop, but, you know. It's it's, it's brown. <laughs> well, it must be tea, then. <laughs> Carol, what's wrong? Now this this is actually this is a really really bad drawing of Beast. His eyes are like on the wrong side of his head. He's got like a fish mouth. It's bad. Yes. yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, Hank. Hi. Be not ashamed of thy womanly tears, Carol. Thou hast loved, lost the one thou didst love. No, she slaps Thor across the face. It hurts her hand, you would assume. <laughs> oh, yes, this is Thor's face she's smacking. And in a very emotionally striking pose uh, done in just yellow and red, you see the tears coming from Carol Danvers's face. She kind of clutches her clothing, points out at the Avengers, and says, uh, basically just drops some truth on these Avengers. she got some sharp nails in this panel. Oh, she's angry. I didn't love Marcus. I never loved Marcus. Don't any of you realize what happened months ago? What Marcus did to me? Uh, guys, maybe our mistake was a visit. Or maybe our visit was a mistake. Now hold, hold it. it. How there, lady? <laughs> you told us you cared for Marcus. You left with him with your own free will. I left because I had no choice. Marcus gave me none. He was a sad, pathetic creature possessing the abilities of God, the body of a man, the emotional maturity of a child. 
And then we get the this panel is deep. It's heavy. Are they like, are they like doing it? Yeah. So, she, so Carol is remembering this. She's sitting on a uh, a, a, a lawn pool. Well, I guess they're, they're not doing it. They're in limbo. There's a bunch of machines here, and I, I think this might be Immortus's machines, but I'm not sure. They're both naked. Uh, Marcus is sitting in front of her. Uh, I think she's happy. He's happy for sure. Anyways, he says, In limbo, his wish was granted. He saw me, desired me. He used me as uh, a means to escape from limbo to Earth. And when that plan failed, he took me back with him. You saw it happen, Hawkeye. You, Iron Man and Thor, you heard his story. Marcus said that Immortus's device could bend me to his will. But he didn't want that way. He set out to win my love. And finally, as he told you, with a subtle boost from Immortus's machines, he succeeded. So I don't know what exactly we're looking at, but it's definitely, it's an intense panel. I mean, I'm, love is happening or rape is happening. Either way, it's an intense thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's, it's too, it's weird. It's very weird. Meanwhile, though, for all of his brilliance, Marcus was careless. He made a fatal error in his calculations when he gave birth to him and his body shifted fractionally out of sync uh, with rhythm of life in limbo. Where time had passed normally for him, it now passed at a fantastically accelerated rate. In days after the return, he aged years. By the time he realized what was happening, he was too old and senile to deal with it. Within a week, he was dust. Free of his mind control, he learned enough of Immortus's secrets to magically transport herself out of limbo. And now you know the rest. That's a, I guess he deserved that. Who, Marcus? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fast birth, fast death. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wonder Man wonders why Carol didn't return to the Avengers after hearing that whole story. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm not too bright. <laughs> or at least uh, contact us. And this is another striking pose with an eye full of tears. She says, Wanda, I never wanted to see you, any of you again. I hated you because when I needed you most, you betrayed me. We Whoa. cut to Professor Xavier talking to Spider-Woman. I remember the first <laughs> time I heard Carol's story. When you pulled the memories out of her subconscious, I've never seen such desolation on a human face as I saw there on hers. Through you, Charles, <laughs> I helped her relive those awful events. I shared her pain, her grief, her loss, her shame, her anger. And because you gave... Uh, unstintingly, unstintingly of yourself, Jessica. She survived. No friend could have done more. With my ultra-sensitive ears, I can hear every word she says. I'm a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> she wants to help. Press wants to help. But for all of their sakes, they had better not. And they just better let her deal with this herself. There I was, Carol goes on, pregnant by an unknown source running through a nine-month term, literally overnight, confused, terrified, shaken to the core of my being as a person, a hero, a woman. I turned to you for help, and I got jokes. The wasp thought it was great. The beast offered to play teddy bear. Your concerns were for the baby, not for how it came to be, nor of the cost of to me of that conception. You took everything Margaret said at face value. You didn't question. You didn't doubt. You simply let me go with a smile and a wave and a bouncy bon voyage. 
That was your mistake for which I paid the price. My mistake was trusting you. After a trauma like mine, it's easy to wallow in self-bitterness and self-pity, but both grief and guilt have to be faced, dealt with, exercised. There's more. There has to be more to being heroes than simply defeating villains. You have a role, a purpose far greater than yourselves, and have to set examples, lead the way to represent what we should be, what we dream of becoming, not what we are. You screwed up, Avengers. That's human. What is also human is the ability to learn from those mistakes, to grow, to mature. If you do that even a little, then perhaps what I went through will have a positive meaning. It's your choice. Carol? What about you? What will you do? So the Avengers, just to point this out, because it's a nice panel, in the beginning of this chapter, the Avengers were all smiles and all lined up and happy to see their friend. And in this panel, they're kind of like scolded five-year-olds hanging their heads. You can just imagine that their feet are kind of scuffing against the ground. (laughs) Oh, shucks. Carol picks up the tea and the glasses. Uh, and uh, symbolically, she says, pick up the pieces of my life, start again, survive. I'm good at that. That's, Carol. That's, that's a nice touch. I would give anything for this never to have happened. I, we are so sorry. Says Scarlet Witch. I know, Wanda. Don't worry. I'll be all right. Now get out of here. It's equivalent of like, it's all good. <laughs> I just dropped some truth on you, but it's all, it's all good. We're good. So they board the Quinjet, they take off, Uh, they're very quiet. There is great sadness about you, Wanda, says Vision. (laughs) I keep thinking, Vision, what if Marcus had chosen me? Boy, that would have been sucky. (laughs) I had been in limbo, giving birth and having a child that grew up to woo me. That is pretty weird when you think about it. (laughs) Why didn't we do something? What the hell? What's wrong with us? <laughs> Suddenly I feel vulnerable in ways I never imagined. Carol was my friend, Vision. And you failed her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not me, just you. <laughs> I am innocent. I was never her friend, never even pretended to be. Yes, that's what is. that's what hurts as deeply as the realization that... I'm even capable of such a failure. Wander, Wander, Wanda, Wanda, remember what Carol told us. Heed her words. Today we have faced some hearth truths about ourselves. But just as a sword goes through the fire to temper and harden the blade, so will we as individuals and Avengers emerge from this travail stronger and more resilient than before. And next time, perhaps, should there be a next time, we will not fail. Both we and Carol have been granted a second chance, my love. Let us use it well. Boom. Done. Over. So I like that issue a lot because, uh, I mean, mostly, of course, for that, that last chapter. But everything else in there is, is, is pretty solid. I mean, the battle with the um, uh, Brotherhood of Evil Mutants isn't all about the battle. There's a lot of other stuff that's going on, a bunch of layers. we get this rogue character who is... It's pretty interesting and apparently dealing with some of her own stuff. But I also like how, you know, we've we've already another writer could have taken the easy road out and had, you know, Captain America be like, We were taken advantage of by Immortus's machines too. We discovered energy traces months after you went to limbo. 
we're just as much of victims as you are. But apparently Chris Claremont was like, nah, <laughs> screw these Avengers. So I like that. It's interesting that they reintroduced Carol Danvers and had her powers stripped of her right away. Chris Claremont clearly had a plan. Do you think he had a plan or do you think he got lucky? I don't know. I mean, why would you introduce a character to steal Carol Danvers' powers if you didn't have a plan? I I don't know. That's a really good question. I mean, obviously, it not obviously, but it, it could be said that this whole thing was a plot device, right? So by Rogue stealing Ms. Marvel's abilities, powers, and most of her memories, he's able to kind of clean the slate with Carol Danvers so that while she has these faint memories, she doesn't have to carry around that very direct memory of these things. She doesn't have to carry around that baggage, so she truly can start over. Well, clearly she does carry the baggage. Well, but she kind of got it off her shoulder or off her chest, and then she's like, it's okay, I'll pick up the pieces, I'm good at that. I'm just saying that it's not as direct as like having these memories, like every day waking up to knowing every intimate detail of everything that happened, because she even says, like, well, I remember a little bit of it, bits and pieces, so here's the overarching thing. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I'm just so if if Chris Claremont's idea was to like uh 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 save Carol Danvers, that was a good plot device to have somebody come along and take that away from her. On the other hand, I mean, maybe he was setting up for like one day he wants to end another X Man. That uh, I I mean, I think it's a very cool thing, but it just I don't know if he necessarily knew that she was going to become an X Man. Okay, rogue talking about, but uh. I think he he definitely knew there was like some sort of like uh you know new character with the power of Carol Danvers running around being a bad guy that was going to be featured in the in the issue later issues of X-Men to what extent we don't really know. Yeah. Maybe he maybe he knew maybe he didn't. Maybe he just wrote this story to clean the slate of Carol Danvers and he's like, "Huh, by the by, I guess I have this new character with these abilities, and what can I do with her? And also, Carol Danvers, nobody wants Carol Danvers. Her series got canceled, so I guess I could use her to do things. There's another thing, though. Here's a theory. Well, he could have just as easily used Carol Danvers in as in the X-Men. I mean, I guess she's right. not a mutant, but she's just hanging out with them anyway. Right. Uh, one other possibility. In the introduction of Marvel Masterworks, The Uncanny X-Men, Volume Number 7, Louise uh, Jones, Louise Simonson, Simonson Louise Jones. Simonson. She talks about in the early days of Marvel, there was no incentive they incentives to create new characters. So right. that's why in the early days you would see a lot of writers and artists just recycling the same old characters over and over again. Porcupine Man, <laughs> exactly like uh, heroes of yester, villains of yesteryear. And about the time that this came out, or early on in Louise Simonson's editorial career, Marvel introduced a incentive plan to uh, reward monetarily creators that came up with new characters. So one could say that, you know, this is kind of a birthplace of that. Uh, and, and I guess it should be noted that when Len Wein uh, and uh, Dave Cockrum created the new X-Men team, this program did not exist. So they kind of created that uh, just because they were good people, I guess. <laughs> so later on after that is when the incent incentive uh, system came along. I mean, Rogue is a fully realized character in this thing. It's like 
you know, he's he's clearly Chris Clearman's clearly been kind of fleshed her out before yeah, he used yeah, her. I mean, she's got a southern accent. We kind of we don't we don't know a whole lot about her, but we know she's got a tight connection with Mystique. Yep, yep, yep. She's she like from page one, she had absorbed uh, Ms. Marvel's powers permanently. Like that wasn't going away. Yeah, and she she was kind of weirded out about that, and she was just, you know, I don't know. The whole kissing thing, like it makes sense, like a girl who can never really have a physical connection with somebody else, like, you know, still wants to have a human connection, and even though it's kind of weird and evil, uh, enjoys to do it with a kiss. I mean, that's, I don't know, that's not that's not really a throwaway idea. No. So, yeah. Yep, and uh, the fact that she's covered head to toe in, in clothes, and she, she got her, 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 her gloves and stuff she's going to wear, all that stuff, yeah. So you're, you're definitely right. He, he, it seems to me that prior to this issue, he had been working on this character for a while, or he got really, really lucky. <laughs> so it would seem. Or Michael Golden came along and was like, I got this idea for a character. <laughs> it could be that, too. He drew it all out, and Chris Columbus like, this is pretty good art. Beast needs some work, but the rest of it's good. Let me just write some words in here. We'll fix up Carol Danvers. Fix her good. Well, we're running a little long in the tooth tonight, so we'll save the letters for next week. But if you'd like to get a hold of us and talk about this issue or any issue, feel free to contact us at www.xmenpodcast.com or go out to facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast, or you can follow us at Danger Room Go on the Twitter or you can go out to iTunes, you can type in Danger Room under the podcast section. We come up, I don't know, first or second or third. And at that po- uh, place, you can uh, subscribe to our podcast on your iDevice, download episodes, leave a five-star review, leave a review if you'd like as well. Uh, or you can go, um, where else can they go, Adam? You could uh, email us, dangerroom at uh, redcapproductions.com. Or you can call us at 501-GET-X-MEN. I think that's about it. We're on Stitcher and Twitter. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mentioned the Twitter account, but you can also uh, subscribe to us via Twitcher. I mean Stitcher. Adam, we need to create that. Stitcher. We need to create Twitcher. It's it's videos that can only be 42 seconds long. Oh, wait, no, they already have that. What's that thing called? Oh, uh, Vine. Vine. Somehow, Adam, we need to get our entire podcast cut down to the six-second Vine or however those long those things are. Maybe we need to do, like, a Vine from every podcast. I think if somebody wants to make a Vine of our podcast, we would fully endorse it. Like the highlight of every, every of each episode. Yep. Then you got to boil it down to 10 seconds. That would actually be kind of cool if somebody could really, well, I don't know. Might be cool. I guess it would probably be, like, uh, episode after episode of, like, uh, Cyclops pouting or something. <laughs> my eyes my deadly eyes next vine well if you thought we were done you were mistaken oh we were so wrong because we have marvel superheroes from 1992 that is correct uh october 1992 on sale august 11th of 1992 adam did you did you did, yeah. did you 30 page story called cry vengeance did you own this? I mean, do you own this in your collection? No. I mean, it's it's 1990. Why? Because it has Ghost Rider on it. Well, it's 1992, which is about the time that we were pretty heavy into collecting, and it has Ghost Rider on the cover. And 
the girl that Ghost Rider has enshrouded in flames is naked. <laughs> I did not buy comics because they had naked girls on the cover. I did buy comics because they had Ghost Rider on the cover. However, this is the old Ghost Rider and not the Ghost Rider that I liked. Aha. Uh-huh. I I would have I'm surprised I didn't buy this just because of the naked lady on the cover. Um this maybe... was an eighty page issue and was a cover priced at two fifty. So for us it was probably like two fifty? This isn't worth it. Yeah, that's like that's half the comic book budget. Give me my seventy five censors. <laughs> so yes, this one was written by Chris Claremont and Simon Furman. It was also drawn by Mike Vosberg for the majority of the issue and finished off by Mike Gustavich for the last nine pages. Heidi Goodhue is the colorist. That's James Novak is the letterer. Uh, Goodhue. That's a good name for a colorist. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> who's the Who's the editor-in-chief at this point? I don't know. Might be Jim Shooter. Probably Jim Shooter. I don't think it really says, does it? Well, I must say somewhere. Um, nope. <laughs> so here, here's why we're doing this issue. Chris Claremont used to write Miss Marvel, and um, it was uh, when Miss Marvel started. It was like one of those brand new. Uh, oh, the editor in chief was Tom DeFalco. Okay. Um, when this came out, this Miss Marvel was touted as a brand new female superhero. She's a female. She's got superhero powers. It's for girls. And so nobody really cared, like writing-wise. Yeah, it seems to me that at this time, you've got Ms. Marvel that came out, Dazzler came out shortly after, and then I think Spider-Woman was launching a series in or around the time that Ms. Marvel had come out. So they were definitely trying to appeal to new audiences, I would guess. Uh, and at the time, they didn't really know what to do with women uh, because it was all about, like, women, you know, uh, it was about how they were specifically women. Whereas, you know, with a with a guy superhero, it's just like, it's about how he's, he could be anybody, you know. It's, it's kind of you get into the character, whereas uh, these female superheroes are very specifically... Uh, oh, look, it's a woman. We're watching a woman do womanly things. We are at no point going to let you forget that this is a woman. You know, it was very focused on uh, femaleness, I yeah. guess. Well, I mean, I even from the few issues of Dazzler, I, I, that makes that, that's very front and foremost. And the, the, I guess, I don't know if it's ironic or, if, or what it is, but I mean, most of these, I don't know about Ms. Mar- well, Ms. Marvel's written by Chris Claremont. Dazzler's written by, I want to say Tom DeFalco, but not women. <laughs> women are not writing these women characters. Yeah. Which is weird. So Chris Claremont, somewhere in the middle of writing Miss Marvel, decided that he was actually going to try and, and make this good and not be about her being a woman, but just about her being a person. And and so he completely retooled uh, Miss Marvel and made it kind of more interesting and uh, Claremontian, if you will. This is uh, one of the reasons Chris Claremont is well-known for writing complex female characters. However, the series got canceled at issue 23. Uh, He wrote, and there was a penciled version of 24, 
which uh, I already covered in a previous episode. Wish I could tell you which one, but I didn't uh, didn't think to do that. Bit of homework. <laughs> and this was the twenty fifth issue, which he um, he wrote. He partially wrote, completed, um, and I believe Mike Vosberg is the original artist, and so the stuff that uh, he did was from the original, what was supposed to be published. And then the last nine pages, which were done by Mike Gustavich uh, and Simon Furman, were picked up after that. Oh. So this is what this is what would have happened. Okay, interesting. But it was never published. So the first 25 or so pages of this issue, or whatever you just said, uh, definitely feel like an issue that stands on its own that, that could have happened in the Ms. Marvel story. But the last handful of pages feel uh, like they were just thrown in there to connect this story to that story of Avengers Annual 10. Do you know if this was originally plotted to be uh, a connector between Ms. Marvel 24 and Avengers Annual 10, or if the end was just kind of slapped together? Uh, I know that it wasn't. Uh, plan to be that way. Okay. Uh, is Chris Claremont was planning to write this, like he was continuing this thread of, um, well, Miss Marvel and the murderer of her boyfriend and uh, mm -hmm. uh, Mystique and the Brotherhood and whatever, and that was supposed to take place in um, here in Miss Marvel, but this is why all the characters get ported over to X Men. Well, it makes. Uh, I mean. Uh, he, he must have been holding on to the storyline because, I mean, this story, f for the most part, connects somewhat okay with Avengers Annual number 10. I mean, it features all the same characters. Right. Although there's some, um, yeah, there are some, that, that actually brings, okay, so that actually is going to quell a lot of my criticisms of this issue um, because there's some parts that I was like, well, this doesn't make any sense. But, but now that you're telling me that this wasn't a, an original story that was made to explain the events of a Avengers Annual 10 and it was actually a... Uh, uh, what do you want to call it? A revisiting. That makes more sense. Well, I'm betting some of the dialogue that was written prior to Miss Marvel being canceled uh, got rewritten to fit in with the continuity that eventually evolved. Sure. Well, let's let's dig right into it. Uh, it begins on page 43, and uh, <laughs> <It's true. laughs> you get the final battle of Ms. Marvel in a little one-page pinup of Ms. Marvel running away from a skull that contains Mystique. True. True that. And then we start the book. So where we last left off, if you, uh, if, if astute listeners will remember, uh, Mrs. Marvel's... Ms. Ms. Marvel's... Uh, She's not married. In the last issue that she met um, her, her roommates, her landlord, and she, she shared a kiss with her landlord. Okay. Um, but she also was hanging out. I might be getting this all confused. <laughs> but she was also hanging out with her psychiatrist who got killed. So it's Ms. Marvel and Iron Man in a disheveled room. Uh, and Iron Man has set up some sensors uh, because what they're going to do is uh, try to figure out what happened in this room. Which is pretty amazing, the technology that Tony Stark has come up with. Why isn't this being used like in the current Marvel Universe? Well, 
actually Reed Richards came up with it. Oh, okay. Still, it doesn't answer my question. So what happens is it's this this, this movie camera, essentially, that is going to take out heat traces from the room to essentially uh, show where bodies have occupied space to be able to recreate events in this room, which is um, stupid. <laughs> so how many times in the Marvel Universe have has somebody gotten murdered and it's been kind of a mystery? I, I don't know. I, honestly, the editors of the comics were like, you, you can't, that device has to go away. <laughs> <laughs> Because so the, the first panel, I mean the third panel on this next page, kind of is is if you're going to have this device, it makes sense because what it does, what it's doing is it's picking up the traces of every single person that's been in this room. So you get this kind of blur mishmash of a whole bunch of people that have been in this room. And it, look, if you're going to have this kind of a device, that only makes sense. But then Tony's like, well, or not Tony, but Iron Man, he's like, well, I don't know if I can filter out all those body traces. And but he does. <laughs> Ms. Marvel's like, try Iron Man, please. And Iron Man's like, okay, and he does it. <laughs> so much so that all the other rem- remnants of of people gone by are gone, and now we're just getting a heat trace remnant uh, representation of the events that happened in this room hours ago, I guess. After some minutes' intense work, he achieves the seemingly impossible. The intense work being like twisting some dials. <laughs> just, <laughs> I've just got to twist this at the right ratio. How do they even know which one of these people they're looking for? Because, I mean, good question. I mean, obviously, they know that the guy that's been killed because there's a body outline on the floor. So maybe they know him. So, like, well, we're going to key in. Like, maybe he was here four hours ago. Oh, so maybe that's what it is. We're going to find heat traces that are four hours old versus heat traces that are three hours old. I guess. <laughs> all right. So if you can buy all that, and and I'm I'm okay with it. And I'll, there's a point to this where I'm not okay anymore. And I'll t- I'll I'll let you know when we get there. But what happens is is a woman who looks like Carol Danvers comes in and goes to the dude uh, and starts making out with him. Yeah, his name is uh, Barrett. I can't remember what his Barnett. first name. Barnett. And uh, Ms. Marvel's like, whoa, that woman looks like me, and she's kissing Barnett, and he's looking like he's he's into it. But that's but not me. all of a sudden, he's not into it. I can read his lips. He's saying, what is this? You're not Carol Danvers. And that's when we see the Carol Danvers. And it should be noted, I guess, that Iron Man's like, do you know that lady? So he doesn't know that Carol Danvers is Ms. Marvel. And so, whatever. Her secret identity is protected. Meanwhile, the Carol Danvers heat signature is beating the crap out of Barnett. True. Beating him to death. It does. And then it, uh, for some reason, decides this is a good point. I guess since it's it's alone and uh, Carol Danvers is now alone and able to, uh, she, she transforms into Mystique. Yep. And this is where I have a problem with everything, you know. Uh, Iron Man's like, oh, it's a metamorph, a shapeshifter. Do you recognize her? Caradam was like, no. And then we see Mystique start rummaging through files, picking up the telephone, dialing phone numbers on the phone, opening and closing doors. Like, I get that you're going to have a heat signature walk around throughout the room, but you wouldn't, in my opinion, be able to see it actual, actually pull folders out of a filing cabinet. That's true. There's no heat on those. <laughs> 
And and because she's pulling out folders, they know that uh, Mystique is looking for Carol Danvers's folders. And a little later on, they'll trace the phone call that this person made because they were able to see what numbers she pushed. Which maybe that's okay. If the phone, like, hasn't moved at all, like, I guess they would be able to see where her fingers went. But she's clearly holding a cold phone in her shoulder. Yeah, how did the phone get up there? (laughs) (laughs) So, I don't know. I wish there was a little bit more, like, if they're going to go with this, like... Oh look, her she goes and touches the the filing cabinet and you can see heat traces all over the filing cabinet. I wonder what file she was looking for. Right. Right, anyways, but they don't. So then she morphs back into Carol Danvers and walks out the door. She uh, Iron Man realizes that she knew Barnett, the uh, Miss Marvel knew Barnett because she cried out when he got murdered and uh mm-hmm. he um he he says, if you'd like a shoulder to cry on, mine's available. I won't rust. And she says, thank you. Won't be necessary. And that's when Iron Man loses it. Do you have to be strong all the time? You can't keep this kind of hurt bottled up inside you. Eventually, it'll destroy you. What are you trying to prove? No, Adam. Do you have to be strong all the time? <laughs> Etc. So anyways, Carol Danvers says that she'll mourn by herself and she, she'll she get uh, uh, even, a life for a life. Iron Man's like, oh, you're as scary as she You're as scary as she is. <laughs> I've had a lot of practice. A man, a friend who once saved my life put it perfectly. I'm the best there is at what I do, but what I do best isn't very nice. See, that is clearly a line that they added in. Yes, yeah. That's like a little bit of fan service buried in this comic book. But that's fine. Uh, so Iron Man... I, I don't believe the character who says that has said that yet. Uh, well, not in canon, but in 1992 right. he certainly has. Oh, in 1992 he probably says it every issue. <laughs> um, it's like clobberin' time. <laughs> Hulk smash. Well, clobberin' time and Hulk smash are a lot easier to say and remember. This other little catchphrase. It's too much. Iron Man offers his and the Avengers assistance in this task, and Carol Danvers turns him down, saying this is a private affair. Because continuity-wise, this is before Carol Danvers joined the Avengers. Correct. And I guess it should be noted that continuity-wise, this is before she goes to limbo, obviously. Yes, yes. Um, In fact, I don't think she was supposed to join the Avengers, but... They decided to have her join the Avengers because um, they wanted to keep her keep her in the uh, in the continuity, I guess. Well, Marvel it, continuity. They had a hero. I mean, she probably had a small following, and if they can pull those readers over to the Avengers, why not? Uh, well, they had to keep like at least one female character in uh, <laughs> Avengers, and um, I think Scarlet Witch had had just left the Avengers and. I don't know. I don't know what their reasons sure, were. Sure, sure, So she goes over to a funeral, and she thinks about stuff and her brother who came home from Nam. He was dad's pride. Dad never really got over Steve's death. Exposition, exposition, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we don't really care nope. about any of this. <laughs> Not at all. A couple of people thank her for coming. She stands over the grave uh, by herself uh, mourning. His death, and she blames herself for the death, I guess, because Mystique turned into her? Um, well, I, because he knew her, I suppose. Yeah. She, well, she's, she's assuming that Mystique killed Barnett to get at her. 
Sure. Okay. And that's why she took her body Got to it. do it. But you know that that is kind of a leap of of uh, you know assumption. Yeah. She doesn't actually know that. So as she's standing over the grave, uh, her head starts hurting, and uh, this is where her seventh sense kicks in, and she falls into the grave. Now, i got to be honest, Adam, I wasn't aware of this seventh sense. Yes, Ms. Marvel has a seventh sense, which, curiously enough, Rogue did not pick up when she stole all her powers. Right. So, so this is the last time you'll see the seventh sense. And she went right beyond the sixth sense, right to the seventh sense. Well, she needs a sixth sense. Yeah. So she falls and she has kind of this vision of herself transformed in front of a giant skyscraper. She sees it kind of caving in uh, in an avalanche of dirt. The sixth sense is that Bruce Willis is dead. (laughs) Oh, oh, spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then she feels, uh, then she bursts into flames. And that's when some grave diggers come out and pull her out of the grave and say, Oh, you okay, Mills? We heard you scream. My God, I'm alive. They wonder what's going on. And she's like, I, I feel like a total fool. I'm afraid I, I fainted and fell into a grave. Blast my seventh sense. It's kind of a Cyclops moment. <laughs> My deadly seventh sense. What uses a power that can't be controlled? I can never love because of it. No, she doesn't say that part. Uh, and why can't it ever provide a definite, unambiguous prediction? Why only bits and pieces? And that's when she turns from her plain clothes into her Ms. Marvel uniform. Honestly, that doesn't feel like Chris Claremont dialogue either. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Why can't it ever provide a definite, unambiguous prediction? Why only bits and pieces? I don't know. It's hard to say. Maybe the the thought balloon was already there and that large, and he's like, geez, how am I going to fill this? <laughs> um, well, anyways, so she said she's scared. Um, she says, uh, um, pretty scary bits this time, too, this trance and the one before last issue. Last issue of what? Marvel superheroes? Well, last issue of Marvel superheroes and Miss Marvel, because the last issue of Marvel superheroes featured the previous issue of Miss Marvel. Oh, all right. Well, well done, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Bad on me for not keeping up. Um, so she's gonna go find whoever did this, and so that takes her to a cargo hangar at John F. Kennedy International Airport. The woman we saw via the image tracer is a complete unknown. There's no record of her in the Avengers data bank or any affiliated computer system. But tracing the number she called was child's play using our reverse directory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever that is. With the listings by number instead of alphabetically by name. Woo! Reverse directory. <laughs> yeah, so she's done some sleuthing to trace... Uh, mystique or a some some connection uh, or a lead i should say back to the southern star imports which has connections with a man named peter colho uh and moses magnum yeah Ooh, who's not in this issue but he's referenced and as she's digging through some boxes she finds a pair of super duper guns 
My, oh, my, what have we here? The latest in machine parts, according to the customs declaration. These are state-of-the-art weapons, barely off the drawing board. Yet Cole hoes shipping enough to equip a small army scam or legit. That has to be the biggest deal of his career. And how do I know that these are state-of-the-art weapons? I'm Miss Marvel. <laughs> I don't have to tell you. I'm Miss Marvel. <laughs> and now it's time for another seventh sign or <laughs> lots of seventh senses seven senses episode. uh the seventh sign so this time she uh she she faints or she falls over or whatever and she's surrounded by three flaming people look like women because they've got breasts and they're attacking her and she does not die she comes out of it and she looks at the mirror behind her and she sees a skull face laughing at her. Ha, ha, ha. Indeed. Uh, but nobody uh, hears her cries. The partially formed cry dies unheard as instinct takes over. And that's when she hears voices. And these, she does, so she hides. These voices are from none other than the Kohel guy that we just talked about, who we don't really know yet. Harry Leland and uh, Donald Pierce. The Hellfire Club? That's some sort of stuffy men's institute on the Upper East Side. What are they doing shipping armaments to the Far East? In addition to those Hellfire Club members, Tessa, the... Is she the Black Queen? She must be the Black Queen right now. Maybe. Yeah. Anyways, her name's Tessa. She's here. And she uh, uh, essentially looked at Ms. Marvel. No. Not at me, through me. But I didn't make a tink. Oh, now I did. I'm interested. I think in continuity, we haven't, like, this takes place before, in X-Men continuity, we've actually met the the Brotherhood, or the, the Hellfire Club. We have, but we, I don't think we've met Tessa, the Black Queen. No, but I mean when this was originally supposed to come out, oh. I think we hadn't gotten to the Hellfire Club story yet. Really? Um, because I mean, the Hellfire Club was introduced like before Phoenix. Well, I mean, before Phoenix became Dark Phoenix, and that was a while ago in continuity. That was what was that like one issue or issue one seventeen? Well, Miss Marvel got canceled a while ago in continuity too. I don't know. I I could be totally wrong on that, but <laughs> anyways, it'd be, it'd be interesting to find out. Uh, regardless, Donald Pierce hears the noise first, and he turns into super ninja kung fu mode and starts uh, attacking Ms. Marvel. He he does. He jumps straight up and like does like a karate kick. Um, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. <laughs> like a very vertical karate kick. Yay! <laughs> uh, and she falls. She can't help herself. She's heading right towards Harry Leland. We know, of course, that he's using his density manipulation power, but she doesn't. Her resistance was formidable. I had no alternative. Any less and she'd have escaped. So he has her crash through the floor. Donald's not quite satisfied with this, so he jumps into the floor as well and starts punching her and punching her and punching he her. He to himself that one day Sebastian Shaw will no longer protect uh, Leland and he'll deal with you the same way he's dealing with his Miss Marvel. Mm-hmm. Punching her a lot. <laughs> Ms. Marvel does the only thing one does when they're fighting Donald Pierce, and that is to cut off his arm. <laughs> Poor Donald Pierce, always losing an arm. So my this is twice now that his arm has been cut off, but no hero or person with a regular arm has ever had their arm removed. 
you would think that the odds are, I mean, somebody would lose their arm in comics. Well, that's why I think Chris Claremont wrote this before he wrote that. Uh, I guess that could be. Sure, so sure. It's like, I didn't get to use the arm cutting off bit. That was so cool. No. It's... I know. I'll have Wolverine cut off his arm. That'll that... be twice as cool. So that I could see, but I have to, if Chris Claremont wrote this and plotted it out so that the Hellfire Club was in here, I feel like he would have had a more grandiose entrance if this was their quote unquote first appearance. So I have to imagine that if this were to have been released on schedule, it would be after we originally met the Hellfire Club. But that's yeah, you're probably right. That's that's all I got. I could look it up, but meh. <laughs> no bot. No reason to do that. So, anyways, uh, he's screaming. She's wondering. She's like, "Oh my god, he's a robot, kind of, sort of." And his hand is still obeying his last command, and it's choking me. Dun dun dun! He's gone berserk. If he's a robot, this kick in the face probably won't phase him. But it does phase him, and so she reckons to herself that only his limbs are artificial uh, and his torso and head are normal. But then she falls to the ground. Whomp. It's like she's being hammered, and it turns out that Leland is, uh, well, he's a mutant, possessing the ability to affect an object's mass, and he is increasing hers geometrically, and before too long, the stream will burst her heart. So she reacts by using her already terrific mass to take out the floor and fall through the floor into the sewers. Tessa says that she's gone. Leland says that he didn't expect that to happen, but um, he thought she would stand and fight. Meanwhile, this Coel guy, which I can't remember his first name. He's like, Johnny, Johnny, Johnny Coel. <laughs> Who is that? Anybody? Anybody, Anybody know? Anybody look at her? Um, Good thing I didn't. Leland thinks to him or thinks to or says to everybody that it doesn't matter. Uh, she surely must have drowned because of the mass that he had imparted on her. See, uh, I'm telling you, this this must have been written before that Wolverine issue. You're right. Yep, because this is essentially the same plot line. That 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 I could see. I could see that maybe like the Hellfire Club was uh, introduced in the pages of X Men, but then this was supposed to have happened before that Wolverine story. Right. Who knows? Who knows? One of them, I believe it's, uh, I believe that it's Pierce was, uh, would rather, would prefer to have seen a body, which makes sense. You're welcome to look for her, Donald, says Leland. Uh, and then Coho says, I don't like this. She obviously has superpowers. Suppose she's a superpowered cop. We should postpone the shipment. And Leland says, no way I will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> no dice. Essentially. Tessa has completely changed. She's like, well, shall I inform Mr. Shaw that all will uh, proceed as arranged? And that's where this coal guy's like, yep. The day after tomorrow. So at the airport, a very attractive blonde finds Mr. Coel, Peter Coel, and it's, uh, Carol Danvers slips in next to him. And it is Carol Danvers. And he, she apparently read his dossier, which is a fancy word for file, because <laughs> everybody's always reading everybody else's files, that uh, he has a fascination for beautiful women. How one-dimensional is that? <laughs> his one weakness was beautiful women. She pulled a lot of strings getting on this flight and assigned it a seat next to his. I'd imagine she did. 
it looks like she like really plays up this part. I mean, they they become fast friends in the airplane. There's some hearts drawn around them as they're like sharing glasses of wine. Uh, so I'm I'm thinking that she may have given up the goods to keep this cover here. I, I don't think so. But you don't think so? All she has to do is dress the part, act willing, and let the gun runner do the rest. Yeah, she acts willing. All right. But I mean, they're on a plane. Well. Not when they're sharing the wine in the flower. Join, join the Mile High Club? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> no, he's. A, I think he's a classy guy, and I, I think she's probably stringing him out as long as she possibly can. Yeah, I don't think Carol Danvers is going to go that far. Oh, I don't know. She seems like a woman devoted to finding the man who killed that other man. The woman who killed the other man? Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was Mystique. Anyways, uh, so in Hong Kong... Uh, I guess Irene Adler, also known as Destiny, has a villa. And her ability is the uh, her power is the ability to see the future. She is a she's a member of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. And I wonder where in continuity this takes place. This is definitely before the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants has been introduced. Oh yeah, because Brotherhood of Evil Mutants was introduced in 141. But this could also be a rewrite. Totally, I'm I'm. Totally guessing it's a rewrite. Because I, I doubt they would mention... Like, I could see them these two characters being here. Mm-hmm. And even and even some of the further characters that we'll meet. But I don't think the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants is a Chris Claremont idea quite yet. No. No. Uh, it doesn't make sense in this in this comic book, at least. So it's, it's Destiny who's got herself in a yoga pose, which... I'm sorry, she's 80 years old. She'd break her knees if she did that. <laughs> And Mystique comes out of the shadows and asks what's going on. And Destiny says, Carol Danvers is en route to Hong Kong. Oh, I warned you, Raven, to leave well enough alone. Each move you make against Danvers only makes matters. <sighs> Worse. Is there some prune juice you could get me? I'm sold. <laughs> uh, and Dester Mystique is just beside herself. Is she not to be able? Is she not to do anything? Something's gonna happen. Uh. It was you, Irene, who predicted that Ms. Marvel would one day cost Rogue there her soul and possibly her life. That's bad dialogue. When does the art switch over? I don't know how many pages are left, but not yet. Okay. Because he only does like the last nine pages. So this potentially would be the first appearance of Rogue. Yeah. Uh, Mystique goes on to say, I love the child as if she were my own. I'll do anything to prevent uh, her coming to harm. So we've already got, I mean, Chris Claremont already has the idea that Rogue is special and and not related to Mystique, but an adopted child and stuff and junk. I don't know. See, this doesn't, I, okay, well, you know, whatever. <laughs> so she heads downstairs and that's when we get our first introduction to Pyro and Avalanche who Mystique finally has a job for. I, th- I think at this point we've switched over into the part of the comic that wasn't written yet. It very well could be. I mean, the, I can't say for sure that the art looks different, but the colors look different. But I don't know. It would seem that it would have all been colored at the same time. Well, hang on. 
it says that pages 70 to 79 are Mike Gustafich. And we're only on page 63. Yeah, I can, de- I can see the definite change of art. So this is, this is still, I think, the original story. Well, that's odd. I mean, I just find it hard to believe that, I guess maybe Chris Claremont was planning to do this whole Rogue thing in Miss Marvel. Well, maybe he didn't even intend for Rogue to become an X-Man. Maybe, like, who knows? I mean, it seems to me that he always had this idea that she would kind of start bad and, like, learn her lesson. And then, like, maybe she was going to be Ms. Marvel's, like, Robin. Yeah, maybe. But then everything got mixed up and then she became an X-Man. Who knows? At any rate, um, Mystique wants Pyro and Avalanche to get uh, Carol Danvers, who arrives uh, from New York, and she wants Carol Danvers dead. So it's been like three pages before uh, since we've had a seventh uh, um, sense, so that happens. <laughs> yeah. So she's lying in the sleeper uh, portion of the airplane with uh, Peter Cowell, and that's when she... She falls into this little seventh sense where she's dancing with uh, a man and she's in love and her dress turns question mark, question mark, question mark. Her dress slowly turns into the black queen outfit for some reason. Her hair goes done up like that. Her face kind of curls up into an evil sneer. And that's where Rogue shows up and introduces herself to Carol Danvers, essentially. Who are you? Uh, I'm Rogue. What are you doing here? She's here for you. That's who the mystery guy says. To kill. If you don't, she'll strip from you everything you are, everything, everyone you've ever loved. And so Carol Danvers, as the Black Queen, kills Rogue and then wakes up. What? So this is one of two things. I mean, when I first read it, I was like, okay, well... She'll strip everything you are and everyone you loved. That's obviously referring to her powers and her memories and abilities and all that sort of stuff. Uh, But this whole Hellfire Club angle, like, doesn't fit anywhere in with the overall story. So that's why I I, kind of still think that we're in the original story here. Okay. Anyways. So she wakes up. She wonders if she's going mad. But then uh, she realizes she's sitting next to Peter Cole and she's got a kind of play the part again so she she quickly swings her um her kind of freaked outedness to uh to sexy happy bubbly blonde girl morning lover See? dreams they did it on the plane <laughs> you don't just meet somebody share wine and then call somebody lover the next day you do if you're doing a spy job well then peter cole is very gullible well you know uh, it's it's not possible that Someone of lesser means meets someone of greater means and, you know, kind of gets really into them in order to, you know, use some of their greater means. <laughs> She's a hoa. And that the person of greater means might be willing to enjoy this for as long as it lasts. Well, so I'm not sure what's happening in this fourth panel, but it kind of looks like he reaches over to give her a big old big hit give him a big old kiss yeah they 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 kiss um and the stewardess or steward or i think it's a stewardess um excuse me folks would you mind fastening your seat belts i think we scandalized her look carol i have some business today but how about you joining me for dinner i thought you'd never ask but behind them 
We see that Tessa is on the plane. Although, is she ever named Tessa in this issue? No. No? Okay. So, the Black Queen is on the plane, yes. whoever it may be at this time. We know it's Tessa. Miss Danvers is making her move. I'm best informed, Mr. Shaw. <laughs> That's what she sounds like? Sure, I don't know. <laughs> so, they go to the Crown Colony Hotel, which looks very similar to her first Seventh Sense vision. I followed Coho all day, but if his business had anything to do with gun running, he kept that hack, that fact well hidden. My trances indicated an oriental setting and a skyscraper. This could be it. But where does Rogue fit in? And that man, I'm not in love or about to fall in love. Uh, so who's he supposed to be? Maybe I should call for help. Oops, there's the bell. Ba-ding! Right on time, Peter, huh? Oh, and that's when this guy says, Coel ain't coming, sweetheart, but don't worry, because you won't be around long enough to miss him. Holla! <laughs> and for some reason, that's what she says. <laughs> and it's Avalanche, and he gestures towards the floor, and uh, like a tidal wave, the floor uh, throws, picks Carol Danvers up and throws her right out the window of the skyscraper and she is forced to transform right then and there to Miss Marvel. Everybody sees her and they're like, Oh look, Carol Danvers is Miss Marvel. Secret identity is blown. No, no, she's up in the, nobody noticed. Nobody, nobody knows who she is. Who's that? Is that Superman? <laughs> she is uh, worried about the, the plaza below because it's crowded. So she manages to catch, all of the falling debris, except for a couple of pillows, which land comfortingly on a few people's heads. And that's when she 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 meets Pyro, and he makes a giant flame bird. And I guess this is where the uh, this is where the episode ends because the next page we got all different art. Page seventy has all different art. Yep. It's it's all modernized. The lines are kind of there's more hash hash lines. Yeah, it's like somebody trying to do a very poor um, Rob Liefeld yeah impersonation. Anyways, uh, yeah. So that's it. Uh, we'll talk next week. Um, that was fun. <laughs> oh, fine. We'll finish it. Um, so Carol Danvers is like, oh, your fire hurts, but it's really not that much more than a B grade movie special effects to me. But inside she's like, oh my God, it's really hurting. Well, she also screams. I mean, isn't that her going? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I suppose. Blimey. Is that it? The best you can offer in the way of resistance? Mystique was wrong. You ain't no problem at all. She recognizes the name Mystique. That's twice now she's heard the name. When was the other time? Uh, was it in this issue? <laughs> yeah. Wasn't it? Only, I don't know. Only this time her seventh sense grants her an image to go with it, which apparently in 1992, the seventh sense has an entirely different effect on her. <laughs> you, you work for her, the witch that murdered Michael. Rather than getting some sort of obscure <laughs> uh, bits, bits and pieces flashback, flash forward, whatever, she she gets just a, an image of Mystique. Mm -hmm. And she lashes out the psionic backlash from the flame bird's destruction felt keenly by its creator. 
that would be Pyro. And though Pyro recovers almost instantly, it's nowhere near quick enough, and she knocks him out. Bam. Uh, Avalanche, uh, after either taking the elevator or running down the stairs, I'm not sure, (laughs) has arrived on the scene, and he throws some rocks up into her, the small of her back, knocking her down. Yep. And um, and she bests him, essentially. Well, she she picks him up, and she's like, you're going to talk now. I'm not going to show you any mercy. And that's when he uses his power to make the uh, skyscraper crumble and fall to the ground. My, oh, my Lord, the hotel is coming down just like in my trance. Avalanche says, to coin a phrase, lady... Get st- And she knocks him out. But what's the phrase? Get stuffed. Get stuffed? Get I don't st- know. Get stupid, y'all. <laughs> what phrase is that? To coin a phrase, get stuffed. Get stoned. <laughs> get stinky. <laughs> get stimpy. <laughs> there you go. This is 1992, so that would work. Get stimpy. <laughs> So she's knocked him out before the, uh, I think before the skyscraper can fully fall down. Yeah, he won't talk. He was prepared to die. Bury them both under the skyscraper. She doubts Pyro will be any more cooperative. Just one lead left, one trail that may yet be warm, yet may may yet take her to Mystique. Colho. And I don't know who this blonde woman is, but it doesn't look like Carol Danvers to me. Well, it is. Oh, <laughs> Oh, here, uh, on the second-to-last panel. As always, Tessa, your information was spot on. Ah, so now she has a name. Cole Ho was indeed, uh, indeed playing a double game. So Cole Ho was going to sell the weapons to the Brotherhood, but I guess he must have gotten the money from the Brotherhood. Uh, no, from Shaw? No, I don't know. He's going to sell the weapons twice, I guess. I trust Mr. Shaw says, Tessa, you impressed Mr. Coho the error of his ways. And a, sh- uh, a man who looks nothing like Sebastian <laughs> Shaw says, you can rest assured, Tessa, he won't make the same mistake again. It's like it's like they didn't even look at a picture of Shaw before they drew this. <laughs> Just, this is like somebody handed in a different page of art and they're like, yeah, we'll call him Shaw. <laughs> uh, Miss Marvel now in her... Miss Marvel outfit uh, witnesses Peter Coho being dead. Somebody broke a table leg off the table and stabbed him in the back with it. Yeah. That's badass. <laughs> and that's when Miss Marvel says no, no, and then we get a caption that says weeks pass. She returns to the Avengers, each foe a substitute, each battle a distraction until cut to Mystique. Gone? What do you mean she's gone? And... Uh, and th- and this is when she's been taken by Marcus, essentially. Yeah. Uh, Destiny's like, I can't see her. She's gone from all possible futures. She's not dead. She's just gone. I've warned you in the past. Your hatred of Denver's leads to a dark, uncertain <laughs> future. Where am I? <laughs> you forget, Irene. You once predicted she would harm Rogue. Uh, and whatever you say now, that I will not allow, allow even if it costs me my life. <laughs> She's Irish all of a sudden. Ah, today. Rogue is in her room. Uh, she, I think, earlier in the issue, she had her. Didn't she have like a mo- the mohawk, the, the white stripe in the middle of her hair? Well, let's go back and see. Oh, I'm going. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
And did. now she's got the white stripe on the left and the right, as we know evil rogue to have. Uh, and she's got a poster from a band called Time Passes Once More. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that's just a caption. A, a poorly placed caption right underneath, <laughs> right on the poster. Those shoes by the bed, the slippers, they look tiny. Yeah. I don't think they fit in Rogue's feet. She can't wear slippers anyway. <laughs> it's true. It exposes too much. And so, actually, time passes once more, and that's when Mystique says, Are you sure? Now she's back? Yeah, I'm sure. Carol Davis is back in San Francisco. But, uh, or even there's a chance that... Enough. I'll hear no more of... I don't have a mystique right now. I'll hear no more of your warnings. Well-intentioned they may be. Carol Danvers dies tonight. Eh, it's kind of like my Colossus. Carol Danvers dies tonight. Yeah, just do your Colossus, but make it a woman. <laughs> All right, perfect. Meanwhile, in San Francisco... Uh, Carol Danvers, who is, in fact, back from limbo, is trying to get uh, the keys unstuck to get into her house with her groceries. And that's... she is assaulted by Rogue. I'm Rogue, and you, it seems, darling, are a thorn that's been sticking in our side for a while now, and I'm here to remove it. Figure these powers I borrowed should see the job done. Whose powers does she have right now? Well, I, I guess she's borrowed Miss Marvel's powers. It's just off-panel. I don't buy it. Well, you gotta buy it, because that's what happened. <laughs> okay. She gets punched into the side. Carol Danvers gets punched in the side of a car. Her destiny say you was back. Blasted heaven, I proved my worth to the Brotherhood. Proved I can handle myself. I don't need Mystique to fighting up my battles. If you're a threat to me, I'll deal with it. That's it, Carol says. I was trying... Really trying to put it all behind me. Forget about Michael, about Marcus, about the so-called friends who betrayed me. But it won't go away. It will never stop. I used to wonder who this mystique was. Why does she want to hurt me? Now, I just don't care. If she wants this fight, by heaven, she's got it. <laughs> And then she transforms by the power of Grayskull. I have the power. She-Ra. She turns into She-Ra. She jumps on her flying horse and she flies over to the uh, San Francisco Bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge, rather. She picks up Rogue and tosses, well, doesn't toss her, but drags her over to the Golden Gate Bridge, slams her into the uh, uh, walkway, it looks like. As she's being slammed into the walkway, she pulls her glove off, and that's when she touches Ms. Marvel's face and says, You see, all I has to do is make flesh-to-flesh -flesh contact, and my mutant power kicks in, absorbing your powers into me. No, too much. You, me, can't feel, can't see who, who I am. What have you done to me? What? Get. Get out of my head! And that's when Rogue tosses Carol Danvers over the side of the San Francisco Bridge. And Mystique also pulls up in a nice little car and picks Rogue up and, I guess, takes her away. You know, it always takes a lot of the, well, pardon the phrase, Mystique out of a supervillain when they show up in a red sedan. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I got the rental. Let's get in. And the rest of the comic is basically um, summarizing things that will come. Yeah, we won't we won't spoil it. It's the only thing. We, it shows the scene of Spider Woman picking up Carol Danvers. That's the only really important part. The rest of it goes way into the future. There's two more panels that we will cover in upcoming X-Men comic books at great length. But here's my problem with the ending of this issue. The beginning is fine. Now that we've kind of uh, uh, discovered that it was a, a kind of a, a retooling of a, a comic book that never was supposed to see the light of day, I can kind of forgive all of the nonsense of the first part of the story, which didn't really make any sense or fit in with the second part of the story. My problem is, is that throughout all of my comic book reading history, I had always either read or assumed that um, while Rogue and Ms. Marvel were struggling, um, Rogue maintained contact with Ms. Marvel for too long, and that's what made the transfer permanent. And not only that, that there was more of a purpose to why she was doing that. Because in Avengers Annual 10, after she gets Ms. Marvel's power, she then goes after all of the rest of the Avengers, gets all of their power so that she can then help, what, release the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants from prison, right? Yeah. So this story makes it seem like, oops, (laughs) Rogue went literally rogue and attacked Ms. Marvel, got these powers, and Mystique quickly came up with this scheme to chase down the rest of the Avengers and free the uh, Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. I guess. So I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is that my story that I wrote that never was published was way better than this story. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is more or less a retcon, so you can do whatever you want. It's a total retcon, and I think maybe that's my biggest problem with these kinds of stories. Like, I'm sure... You know, back in 92, maybe some folks were like, oh, finally, we're going to get the the story that we never were supposed to see of how Ms. Marvel and Rogue finally, how that all happened. Like, we've only heard about it from Rogue telling the rest of the X-Men. So there was probably a lot of people excited by it. But well, what's cool about it is that these are like issues that were written at the time that, mm-hmm. you know, never saw the light of day until now. And, and that's kind of neat. It's 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 cool to see that Chris Claremont was kind of planting some seeds. I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine with all that. I mean, and if that issue would have come out, it would have just probably further fleshed out Rogue, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, and I'm sure they would have all eventually met in the pages of the X Men, anyways. But yeah. I guess it's that retconning of the end into where they actually show us the transfer of that power. I think uh, much like a fine movie, uh, it was much better in my mind or the things that happened off page or off screen rather were more impressive than anything you could have shown me. Because this is like the second retcon that we've read that I was like, eh, this is better in my head. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> well, that's that's why we don't nor- – like normally we don't really do retcons. Well, we might mention them, but – What are you talking about, Adam? We did the entire classic X-Men series. Mm, well, those were different. <laughs> and and these are different. I don't know. Everything's different. All right, fine. I don't know what I'm talking about. All right, we've gone way too long uh, this episode, but, but there you go. Nice two-and-a-half-hour podcast. I wanted to just touch on a couple more points. In an interview with um, 
Chris Claremont, he talks about the portrayal of women in comics. In Avengers 199, where Carol Danvers is introduced to the Avengers, and they're told in that in two days she has become eight months pregnant by an unknown father or by force of persons unknown, the reaction and the reaction of the entire crowd, men, women, both, is the effect of, oh, can I babysit? Can we knit booties? Can I make cookies for the baby? Oh, you must be so happy. And my reaction was, what an insensitive crowd of boars. Actually, my reaction was a lot stronger than that, but how callous, how cruel, how unfeeling, considering that these people must have seen Miss Marvel only a couple days before, or even a couple of months before. She wasn't pregnant then. How could she be eight months pregnant now? Now, if that was the point David Michelin was... Michelini? I don't know. I was trying to make that these other Avengers are callous boars okay then. I may disagree with the point, but if you followed through on that, it would have made sense. But it seemed to me, looking at the story, looking at the following story that he was going for, this is how you respond to a pregnancy. Uh, as Carol Strickland, who wrote the article, The Rape of Miss Marvel, where I'm getting this quote from, pointed out in her article, women tend to get very short shrift in comics. They are either portrayed as wallflowers or as super macho insensitive men with different body forms who almost invariably feel guilty about their lack of femininity. And it's always seemed to me that why does this have to be exclusive? Can you not have a woman who is ruthless and capable of courageous and articulate and intelligent and all of the other buzzwords, heroic when the need arises, and yet feminine and gentle and compassionate at others? That was what I tried to do with Miss Marvel. I tried to create a character who had all the attributes that made her a top secret agent, yet at the same time was a compassionate, warm, humorous, witty, intelligent, attractive woman. So clearly, Curse Claremont had a bug up his ass about the whole Marcus storyline. Sure, sure. And, and so he rectified that with Avengers Annual number 10. It uh, shows that he cares about his creations. And the, and the characters that he's helped create. Yeah, for sure. So it would be interesting to take these. Have you ever heard of the, the Bechdel test? No. The Bechdel test comes from a comic strip in which uh, it's about uh, dykes, dykes to watch out for. <laughs> so it's one of those underground comics. But basically talking about women's roles in movies. But I think you can apply it towards a comic book. And here's the Bechdel test. Um, and you can apply this to a movie or a TV show or a comic book. Uh, the, the, so it has to have at least two women in it, okay? Okay. The two women have to talk to each other. Oh, I've heard of this test before, yes. About something besides a man. And right. if you can pass each one of those three questions, then you've passed the Bechdel test. And if you haven't, then you've you know, you got one out of three, two out of three, et cetera. And if you go through... Uh, you know, if you Google that and you look at like Bechdel movie list or whatever, you can go through a list of uh, hundreds of blockbuster movies where they all fail. And then you start to realize that women are only in a lot of these movies or probably in a lot of these comic books to kind of to kind of further the development or growth of the male protagonist in the the comic book or the movie, because it's generally maybe one woman who it could be a powerful lead, but all she ever does is she doesn't have another woman to talk to, but there's plenty of men for the men to talk to. And then maybe she, you know, when she is finally talking to like the nurse or whatever, uh, she's talking to the nurse about the main character. Good example of a recent movie that fails the Bechdel test, Gravity. Did you ever see it? <laughs> that doesn't count, though. Sure it does. 
Uh, is there even two women in that movie? Um, no, that's a good point. There <laughs> isn't think... two women, but it's a movie that proposes to have a strong female lead character, but has all these qualities that are based on like, you know, she relies on George Clooney. Right. Um, and she, she is made very much, uh, a woman by talks of flashbacks about her her child that she was you know she's a mother therefore she's a more sympathetic female character and bloody bloody blah right yep so interesting things there i didn't like gravity that's my point <laughs> oh i liked i liked the effects oh yeah the effects were great i thought i, I as a matter of fact i really wish i could have seen that movie in the theater I did see that movie in the yeah. theater. I don't. I mean, the story and all the that I that was all fluff for just the the sheer. I like the the sheer audacity of the the writer or director, whoever brought it to the movie studio, and said, "I want to do a two hour movie about Sandra Bullock floating around in space." And somebody's like, "Here's a bunch of money. Go make that movie." <laughs> and then they made it. And then you're like, "Wow! How did they get into space to film all that?" <laughs> but anyways, I think we've digressed. We have. You wanted to cover some Avengers stuff? I read Avengers 210, which came out the same month as uh, Avengers Annual 10, but takes place afterwards. Um, basically, to put this in a very quick nutshell, a space station gets uh, becomes sentient and creates uh, four... It, it turns people into weathermen and wrecks havoc around the world uh, with weather. Uh, and Beast is a total pervert in this issue. Um, he gets sent to, let's see, Buenos Aires, where there are... Uh, this is a weird issue. <laughs> <laughs> it opens with the scene where they're like watching like five TVs all on top of each other, but they're all like facing away from the Avengers. And they're all stacked at weird angles, and it makes it's like this is not a useful device. But anyway, Buenos Aires is it's, there's now snow there, and there's two uh, girls in bikinis that the camera has focused in on. And Beast gets sent to uh, to to Buenos Aires, uh, where he discovers the two the two bikinied women are like now frozen and near death. And let's see, he says. Oh, my stars and garters, those bathing beauties I saw on TV. They're frozen solid. Maybe I could take one or two of them back to thaw out in my room at Avengers Mansion. Hmm. Anyway, that's that's all I wanted to point out. It was <laughs> it was it was awful. And at the end of it, uh Captain America's like, we're disbanding the Avengers. So It seems like they're always disbanding the Avengers. Well, they're 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 changing the lineup, I guess. Uh. Sure. So find out next episode what the new lineup will be. Ooh, I cannot wait. Uh, did you know that that uh, Run Run Lola Run failed the Bechdel test? Uh, Run Lola Run failed the Bechdel. There, were, yeah, because there's not more than like the two women that are in the movie never talk to each other. Yeah. So, anyways, Google it, people. I, it's, it's weird that you brought that up because I was I was just reading about that maybe a month ago or a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I don't know why I was oh it was uh, I was reading it on a Reddit article and of course if you've ever gotten lost down the the Reddit rabbit hole you could literally spend hours just like 
going through. I throughout. wonder if that's trending right now, and that's why we uh, <laughs> we were both familiar with it. Could be. So there you go, everybody. All right. Well, good. Uh, until next time, the danger room is closed. The scorpion replied, "What would killing you prove?" We'd both drown, so tell me, how would that behoove me to basically die at my very own hand, when all I desire is to be on dry land? The tortoise considered the scorpion's defense. When he gave it some thought, it made perfect sense. The niggling voice in his mind he ignored, and he swam to the bank and called out, Climb aboard. But just a few moments from when they set sail... The scorpion lashed out with his venomous tail. The tortoise, too late, understood that he'd blundered when he felt his flesh stabbed and his carapace sundered. As he fought for his life, he said, Tell me why you have done this, for now we will surely both die. I don't know, cried the scorpion. You never should trust a creature like me, because poison I must. I'd claim some remorse or at least some compunction, but I just can't help it. My form is my function. You thought I'd behave like my cousin the crab, but unlike him, it is but my nature to stab. The tortoise expired with one final quiver, and then both of them sank, swallowed up by the river. The tortoise was wrong to ignore all his doubts, because in the end, friends, our natures will out.